Yo, yo, yo. Peace, my people. Evening to you all. My beautiful, beautiful, beautiful black people. My brothers and sisters who... My brothers and sisters who are not melanated as well. Peace, love to each and to all people. You are tuning in to yet another episode of ADQ's Renaissance. I'm your host with the most, keeping it 100 from coast to coast. Through God, I boast. A D Q. We, my friends, have a powerhouse episode for you tonight. We are going to be chopping it up with my friend and my mentor, Mr. Andre Minkins. Yes, 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 yes. We got to give the man a round of applause. We got to give the man, um, we got to give the man snap fingers, round of applause, and his and some flowers, you know what I'm saying? Because this man is a beacon in black theater, you know what I'm saying? And he is right here in our backyard, right here in Greensboro. You know what I'm saying? He has helped so many black actors um, get gain their fit, gain their footing, gain their ground in um, the world of theater. Not just black theater, but that on theater as theater. Period. <clears throat> so, yo, I am greatly looking forward to chopping up with him. He had, he, he's it. He's been helping me. You know what I'm saying? He's been helping me. When I think about when I think about people who have trained me and taught me all that I know about theater, you know, I'm talking about Amy Deleuze. I'm talking about Mark Williams when I was at Guilford College. I'm talking about Rob Kahn and Marshall Bobinick when I was at Forsyth Tech. Um, you know what I'm saying? I'm talking about Denise Gabriel. Oh, yeah. Lauren, uh, my man Lauren Kaplan. My man Josh Anderson, my sister, uh, uh, Nikayla Knox, they will tell you that uh, Denise Gabriel is dope. I'll tell you that Denise Gabriel was dope. She was probably like the most effective teacher that I had when I was at UNCG. Um, Robin Vest, you know, the, uh, shoot, um, you know, among others who currently slipped my 34-year-old mind right now, um, but yeah, yeah, um, I learned from all these people, but they could not teach me how to act, the, act with the type of dialect, sound, and vernacular, and type of uh, cadence that a black actor, or an actor who is black, mind you, um, and by the way, if you happen to hear a fan in the background, yeah, I got a fan on because it's hot up in it's hot up in my uh in my apartment. You know what I'm saying? But anyway, I've been learning a lot from uh, Mr. Minkins in the short time that um, he's been mentoring me, and I look forward to more that um, he can teach me. And I look forward to what he has to say to you all um, during the course of our conversation. But before we get but before we get started with this conversation, a, a little bit of literature I would like to throw y'all throw y'all away first of all you know how i like to start in the word proverbs 16 verses 1 through 5 let's go to 1 through 5 we can make our own plans but the lord no gives the right answer people may be pure in their own eyes but the lord examines their motives 
Commit your actions to the Lord and your plans will succeed. The Lord has made everything for his own purposes, even the wicked for a day of disaster. The Lord detests the proud. They will surely be punished. It is my prayer, it is my desire that I remain a humble individual. I try to be a very humble human being. Um, sometimes, though, I, I feel like I got to speak out. Um, earlier today, I posted on Facebook. I uh, was talking about how I was assigned a role as Lucius in um, a in a Zoom reading of of Julius Caesar, William Shakespeare's Julius Caesar. It's crazy, man. I'm not even I'm not even a Shakespeare fan, to be honest with you. But I keep on doing it. You know, I have a video of me doing doing lines from Macbeth. You know, it's floating around. Sofa Shakespeare, that's out there. I did uh, Romeo in Romeo and Juliet uh, during the, during the fifth act on Friday. Um, what else? What else, man? Uh, I'm in Much Ado About Nothing. I'm about to do Julius Caesar. I was reassigned to Cato. But see, here's where I piss people off, right? I mentioned, I posted on Facebook, I was talking about how um, I turned down the role and I quit and I, left the, and I left the deal because Lucius is a servant. And I'm like, yo, I'm not playing no dad, I'm not playing no daggone servant. I'm not. I'm not. I don't care if it's a reading. I am not playing no servant in the reading where I'm the only black person. I'm among a bunch of white people. A couple white people got their pants in the draw, uh, got their drawers in the bunch. The dude who actually gave me the role, he understood. He was like, hey, man, I get it. <clears throat> I get tired. I get tired. He told, he told, he, he shared a, a small personal experience with me, and I'm like, okay, okay. Same people put you in the box, put me in the box. Okay, I get it. So, it's all good. It's all good. He just reassigned me, told me that, um, apologized and stuff, and it's all good. But, you know, you gotta stand for something, you know. The, the point that I was making is 2010 ADQ. Well, definitely rocked with the role. You know, 2010 ADQ would have jumped on that role, just wanted the opportunity to be heard. But you know, 2020 ADQ, it's like I ain't playing nobody serving. No, no. Now, if this was a black directed, black led play, that'd be different. That'd be totally different. I'm like, I would probably be like, well, heck, man, I was in what. I I would probably be like, okay, how can I help the play get where 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 it needs to be? But if it's a reading, no, absolutely not. I am not playing no daggone servant. Point blank, period. You know what I'm saying? It's principles, man. You gotta stand for something. Um. Also. I would like to run this by you all. 
because I'm about to talk with a brother, a black man, about theater. And this that the Honorable Marcus Garvey says kind of, um, kind of, it, 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 it affects me. It said, Marcus Garvey said, remodel yourselves, remake yourselves mentally and spiritually. Place responsibility on your own two hands, in your own two hands. You are responsible for what you are. You are responsible for what you want to be. And in the final analysis, you are responsible to the creator for having failed or achieved this purpose for you. We are responsible, according to Marcus Garvey, and I agree. We are responsible for what comes to our lives. And rather than that, we achieve the path that, the path that guys mapped out for us. Check this out. Preparedness. Preparedness is the watchword of this age for us as a race to remain as we have been in our past divided among ourselves parochializing insularizing insularizing and nationalizing our activities as subjects and citizens of the many alien races and governments under which we live is but to hold our own, hold ourselves in readiness for that great catastrophe that is bound to come that of racial extermination black lives matter at the hands of the stronger race white people the race that will be fit to survive. I ain't playing your daggone servant. All good psychologists realize that if you put, if you said a man thinking you are likely to produce through him results that never would have been possible otherwise. The object I have in view is to get the Negro to, well, the Negus, I say Negus, to accomplish much for himself out of his own thoughtfulness. Yes, very much so. And also, I have a dope poem that I wrote. I'm going to read it for you all after this particular, after this conversation with my friend and mentor, Mr. Andre Minkins. So everybody, just sit back, relax, get ready to hear some dopeness. You know what I'm saying? Get ready to hear Theater 101. From two black men. Y'all stay tuned. Keep it locked. This is ADQ's Renaissance. Welcome back, my people, to ADQ's Renaissance. Now, let's get ready to chop it up with our guest this man is a singer actor director producer writer and the founder of the theatricals touring company 7am productions since receiving his masters of fine arts degree from the university of north carolina at greensboro he has performed in written directed and produced numerous plays all across all across the united states Besides touring with his own company, he has worked with other national touring groups performing theater and poetry, including the touring play Camp Logan, winner of an NAACP Image Award for Best Ensemble. Currently, this man is an associate professor of theater, TV, film, and speech, and a coordinator of drama 
at Winston-Salem State University in the trade boat. He has taught at other institutions, including Livingstone University. Welcome back, my people. Don't just love technology. It's great yeah, when, it, when it doesn't work, you want to throw something. Yeah, yeah, I'm glad we were able to get connected. Me too. So, allow, please, sir, allow me to uh, continue uh, reading about your incredible resume. Now, my people, come on. This man is taught at Livingstone University in Salisbury, Shaw University in Charlotte, Tennessee State University in Tennessee somewhere, I don't know, in the University of Arkansas. He's also done workshops and camps across the country, reaching out to share the gift of theater with all ages. Also, he is considered one of the most foremost authorities on black theater and theater festivals in the country, having been mentored by, wait for it, been mentored by Mr. Marv Tastic himself. If you have been to the Black Theater Festival, you know what Marv Tastic means. That's all they do. They walk around wearing purple saying, Marv Tastic, Marv Tastic, Marv Tastic. My guest was mentored by the late, great Larry Leon Hamlin, founder of the oldest continuous black company in the Southeast, the National, the, the North Carolina Black Repertory Theater Company and creator of the largest gathering of African-Americans in the in, th in theater in the world, a national black theater festival, as I just mentioned. Mark Tassignan should take your place all over the joint. His yes. in or being on the board of several companies and festivals, including the Tampa Bay Theater Festival, Festival Stage in Winston-Salem, Deconti, Deconti, did I pronounce that right? Deconti. Deconti. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Deconti artists. A Liberian. Liberian, my people. Forget Wakanda. Mm -hmm. Deconti. A Liberian yes, Theater yes, Company, yes. the DC Black Theater Festival, the Atlanta Black Theater Festival, and the International Black Film Festival of Nashville. <gasps> Lastly, he is mentor and consultant to numerous former students, actors, myself included, thankfully. <laughs> Thank you, sir. You are saving my theater career. You're and welcome. Stations that are involved in film television and theater ladies and gentlemen please welcome to adq's renaissance mr andre minkins mr minkins how you doing sir thank you so much i'm doing well um it's uh you know it's, it, we're in a time now so much to think about so much to reflect on um it's 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 a great time um amidst the you know the anguish and the part uh about being in this time that um where people aren't surviving it um, physically and some mentally and emotionally. So, uh, so it, there's there's a mixture of things going on here, and um, there's a lot happening. But I'm hopeful that everything that is taking place uh, on the negative side will not be wasted, uh, and that we can capitalize on on moving forward uh, into a better future and a better world. I agree. I agree. One thing that I have found at this particular moment in time, if you will, that we are currently in is we create types. We 
have seemingly become more creative. It's like yeah. Yeah. it's like they shut it's like they shut down Broadway, but that didn't shut down our creative drive and our um, abilities to uh, cast our creative juices out there into the stratosphere. Yeah, sure. Uh, creatives have always been that way. Um, and and in, in particular, our people have always been that way. You know, when they told us we couldn't eat the fine meat, you know, we we made chitlins, you know, uh, and created a fine meat out of out of parts of an animal that, you know, initially wasn't, you know, wasn't something that people were supposed to be eating. Uh, so, you know, we've always created out of necessity. Um, and we're saying now and these days that that we, we still want to stay creative, but we don't we want the necessity to be the burden of everybody on everybody's shoulders. You know, we can't we, we can't fix the fact that the whole world is is gone down because of COVID. But when the world comes back up, uh, we shouldn't have to be creative because we don't get our fair share or we don't get the share that we should be getting in order to. Um, you know, to create in a space that uh, that has more of the bells and whistles that that uh, everyone else is receiving. Yes, indeed, absolutely. I agree with all. I agree. I agree. With and now, it's, it's a good time. It's a good time also to you know to get some rest and to get a break from running all over the planet trying to you know get your hustle on and to stop and think about the things that you really want to do and the things that really should be done you know i've i've uh, been you know i've been able to reflect and to uh and my my brain's working a little bit better than it was when we were having to wear all of these hats you know um i remember when well for well for one thing i'm about to tell, let me uh i'm i'm about i'm going to tell listeners how we even met cause it's crazy it's the way that god works so i used to work for your wife um yeah. Y'all own both of y'all uh, own uh, Calvin Kids. Yes, but family. runs it. Yeah, but but at, at, that was actually my entryway into being a full time child care provider, which is which what I'm doing now for the summer. Thank God. But um, and there be and there be times when I'll be talking to her, Miss Alicia. A shout to her. She'll be saying that uh, she was saying that you were like. In this film, directing this play in Nashville, in Atlanta, in Washington, just all over the place. And I'd be saying to myself, yo, I want to be like this man one day. I can't say when I grow up because I'm grown now, but <laughs> hey, that's what I'm aiming for. Yeah, and I, and, and I kept hearing, and I kept hearing, yeah, you know, we have this teacher here that's, uh, you know, he's in theater. He, you know, he really goes out there for the, you know, for all the students, for the, for the children uh, in different ways. You know, sometimes in some of the other teachers can go because of, you know, that creative thing that was in your creative gene that was in you. And I kept saying, well, I, I need to meet him. But, you know, I, I oftentimes, you know, sh you know, fall short sometimes of being able to meet people. Who, uh, who, who people bring to my attention either because, like you said, I'm on the road or I'm at school, or because sometimes you're cautious about who you who you invite into your creative space because you don't know why they want to be in theater. Because some people want to be in theater because it's a passion, it's a love, it's a drive. Some people want to be in theater because they think it's 
you know, easy or they think it's something they can do because they've been, you know, performing all their lives in some form uh, or another. And sometimes it's, you know, it's not a positive reason for why they have to perform. Uh, maybe just because of, uh, of, you know, really trying to adapt to the environment that they've been given. Uh, but, um, but so sometimes we don't get a chance to meet everybody that is brought to our attention. And I'm glad we, we had a chance to meet and, um, and then we slowly were able to, to, uh, to get to know each other in a way that I, that I think now we're headed into a really, really positive direction, uh, that is all about theater and, and not about, uh, you know, the fact that you're trying to get into theater. You actually have made some real, you know, strong decisions about, uh, including this podcast about being that guy, you know, about being the person that is about it and not just talking about it. Oh yeah, because oh yeah, because um, I tell you, I tell you, uh, I remember, I tell you a little, I tell you a little bit about me. I remember when I was twenty eight. I remember when I was like twenty eight. Uh, I told the story on this podcast before. When I was twenty eight, I had like a breakdown on the job. And I stopped and I asked myself, where is my life going? Where is this thing called life going? What all am I supposed to get out of this life? And I realized, you know what? I need to completely dedicate myself to getting all that God has for me out of this, out of this thing called life. And what? Has, and I asked myself, what has been the, the ongoing constant for me since the age of eight? I have always loved theater. I fell in love with theater. And I fell in love with the idea of creating something at the same exact time. And I have struggled my entire life to find a way to, uh, up until the up until the age of twenty three. Mm-hmm. I have struggled uh, to, uh, to 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 find a way to gel that then create that creative energy. Well, you know, I used not- to. Grow- I'm sorry, oh, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry to interrupt, but but I, I just wanted to say that most of us know, most of us in this creative world who have put their foot down inside it, I don't care what family says, friends say, advisors say, this is the area that I'm going to dedicate my life to. Um, and uh, most of us know by the time we're eight, you know, nine, really what we really want to do. Some of us don't get to do it, but... Um, but those of us who do, I mean, I've known since I was a child too, and I was very fortunate and blessed to have people come into my life at strategic times to to just kind of push me, kind of nudge me in that direction, you know, um, you know, because I, you know, I, I tell you know people that talk, you know, that, that I talk to about my past that yeah, I've had, you know, forty five jobs, you know, from twelve age twelve until. Uh, I got into theater, you know, from restaurants, cutting grass, you know, washing windows, uh, you know, uh, working at fast food joints and restaurants and uh, game rooms, uh, videography. I've done so much, but I really wanted to be in this area. Videography got me closer. But then, you know, the mentors that really you know, pushed for the theater and in, introduced me and invited me in and welcomed me in that space, uh, in those spaces between theater, television, and film. Um, I, I really feel fortunate that I was able to to parlay that into a degree and, you know, multiple experiences. So, um, so 
I believe that with every great journey, I say it to anybody, I believe that with every great journey, there is a genesis, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like the whole, like your whole story has start somewhere. I know you didn't wake up one day and say, "Hey, I'm going to be, I'm going to be basically, I'm going to be basically the, the theater department over at Winston State." <laughs> right, right. That 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 would have been my last option. Uh, you know, nothing against state, but uh, I really wanted to, you know, perform. Uh, be on the stage and if I were going to be going to uh, to teach at a university it would have been someplace that had a theater name you know um, and and the thing about it is I have known several people in my in my life that have gone to Winston-Salem State and did participate in um, whatever theater activities were going on on campus or, or, or the music so you know so Winston was was a school I'd heard about but I had I, it was I had no clue I'd be working there um, and then the fact that my mentor Dr. Betty Jean Jones the late great Dr. Betty Jean Jones who was my professor at UNC Greensboro I didn't know she got her start uh, in theater as an adult on Winston-Salem State's campus because um, Winston-Salem State used to host a summer theater like a a summit where black students from all around the country used to come to campus it it happened over two different summers i believe um who were on campus and i found out this this information trying to trying to investigate what i what should be happening and what has happened at west salem state before and when I found that paperwork I was floored. I, I saw a picture of my college mentor as a college student who who had gone to Bennett College as an English major get her start in those workshops that her professor her professor brought um brought her to over the summer on Winston-Salem State's campus. And I was like I was blown away. It was like Winston-Salem State really was the birthplace uh, a whole generation earlier for what I would be, uh, what I would would become, and what I would do. Uh, Winston, Winston, the city itself. Uh, did I didn't know I was that she was going to introduce me to Larry Leon Hamlin, and just kind of leave me in his office as if I were, you know, as if he were my long lost father. I didn't know that was going to happen. So, so Winston, the city, and the university uh, has played a, a vitally important role in my theater journey and career. Well, we're going to get into Winston-Salem in a minute because I love Winston-Salem. Very artsy place. Yeah. Um, but for you, like, where did it all, like, where did it all begin for you? Because I could tell you where it all started for me, but where did it all begin for you? Well, it began when, uh, when my grandmother used to take me to the Apollo to uh, my parents would take me they were both singers and so they would take us to the Apollo when we lived in New York and and New Jersey area and um, and so I I learned early on you know you know seeing Stevie Wonder live at the Apollo and other people at the Apollo that would tour and come through there and then um, my grandmother taking me to Radio City Music Hall to see plays during Christmas you know New York is you know, beautiful at Christmas is a is a wonderland. And then when we moved back, 
moved back to North Carolina and um, I, you know, I would do my own, you know, my own TV shows and radio shows with my tape recorder in, you know, in my room and create characters. And I know so many people have that story uh, that they created their own, you know, their own TV shows and fantasy world movies and whatnot while there were children in their homes. And I feel so connected to that theater tribe when we, when, when I hear people of all races and colors and cultures, you know, talk about that, having those experiences. Um, and then, you know, you kind of put away those things cause you know, you're told to put away the childish things and not to, you know, play with, you know, you know, uh, you know, in your room with, you know, with fantasy like that, because people start to worry about you, you know? <laughs> and so I stuck to music as a singer because uh, chorus was being offered in the North Carolina town that we ended up in. Uh, but uh, I didn't know too much about the theater thing. I did hear about, you know, auditions for a play every once in a while, but I knew as an African-American male that I was limited. Even as a little boy, I knew I was, li- it was, it was limiting you know the parts that I can get because a lot of the plays were you know Oliver and you had to be British and and uh, and back then we didn't know a lot of British you know um, uh, African um, based Af- a- actors at that time um, I'm sure there were some but they weren't coming in all coming in on our TV screens um, and so did that you know all the way through middle school but then in high school my 10th grade year my English teacher said um I need you to promise me one thing. I said, sure. He said, I need you to promise me um, that you'll do at least one play for me before you graduate. And I'm talking about this 10th grade year, um, you know, kind of young in high, in high in that high school thing. I was an athlete playing football who could sing. And um, and I said, yeah, you know, what, what's in it for me? And he said, I, I promise I'll, I'll get you into a college of your choice um, if you do one show for me. And I, you know, I didn't know this man, you know, we, he was my English teacher, but you know, we said hi and bye when the bell rang, you know? So, um, you know, so as, as an athlete, I, I didn't think I could see myself as a, as an actor, which is so funny to me now. Uh, but as a singer, because I sang in church and whatnot, that was doable. That was, that was good enough. Uh, but then my senior year, when I realized that, um, that athletics weren't going to get me, uh, into college or that I probably wouldn't play at the, at the next level for various reasons. I, I thought I was, you know, I was talented enough, athletic enough, but I just didn't have enough connections. You know, uh, my dad wasn't around at that time. And so, you know, so I was just, you know, trying to go the route that most African-American males do is that, you know, using sports to get to the next level in college and whatnot. Uh, but when I saw that that probably wasn't going to happen, my my English teacher said, "Are you, you know, you think you want to try it now? You 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 know." And I did. I uh, he put me in a play. I didn't know what I was doing in the first few rehearsals, and he he got me through it. And sure enough, by November, I was in Carolina. I'd already, you know, UNC Chapel Hill was, you know, was asking me where I wanted to stay, and you know, we were. I was on that journey. It all happened so fast, um, and then. Uh, he stayed true to his promise and I, I did a couple of more shows uh, for him and um, and he decided to do a black play for the first time in a long time. I don't know if it's the first time ever, but he decided to do a Raisin in the Sun 
I said, okay. Uh, I did that. I played George. I didn't even have a huge role. I played George and um, who was Benita's you know, boyfriend who had the white shoes and was a little kind of um, looking down on, on, you know, the black movement at the time in the sixties, um, as far as that character's experiences were concerned. And, um, I was a little disappointed that I didn't get a chance to play Walter Lee or the lead. Um, because after all, I was like the only African-American male that was, you know, that was doing theater. But when he opened it up for everybody else, I wasn't tall enough. I wasn't big enough, I guess, in his, in his eyes to play Walter Lee. So, um, so I did that, um, decided to go to UNC Greensboro instead of Chapel Hill, um, for various reasons. Um, UNCG felt when I visited more like home and I did that and there was, um, plenty of opportunity with the black organization on campus to, uh, to do theater, to be involved in the chorus to sing we had a dance troupe and we had sports uh so you know from that organization from that organization a neo-black society we would um you know participate and uh console each other after being the only black in the class you know all day or you know we you know very few african-americans were uh you know, we're finding themselves in classrooms where they could identify with what was going on um, socially with the other students and whatnot. So we found um, solace in, you know, in, in gathering with each other and doing our own thing. And then the only African-American theater professor that I uh, knew at UNC Greensboro, uh, I, I can't, I never forget, I took a, uh, drama appreciation class and she had heard she had heard that we were doing uh plays bootlegging plays as she would say on campus with the black through the black student organization and she said you know come and do a show for me come and audition for me um because i was also taking a film class uh that she was teaching and uh i said i you know i'll think about it you know because i knew that stuff took you know it was time consuming you know, I had other things to do. I, so in my head, I thought, uh, you know, and my, I hear when my students say the same thing and kind of uh, kind of are hesitant to be in a show when they know how many uh, how much work it is, how many hours it takes to, to rehearse a play and, and to look really good at it. Uh, but she finally convinced me and I auditioned and guess what the play was? It was A Raisin in the Sun again. So wow! <laughs> so again, I didn't get cast as Walter Lee, even though she asked me to 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 audition. This time, I got cast as Asagai. So now I'm playing the guy who was from the African continent and uh, the revolutionary from the African continent. And by this time, I'm a senior in college, uh, or at least in between being a senior and a second semester junior. You know how that goes. Uh, so. Uh, so the faculty saw my my performance um, of Asagai in the Raisin in the Sun and said, "Who is that?" And um, you know, he's not in the department. He might be somebody that we might want to encourage to come over to the department. And then um, she said, 
kind of brokered this deal for me and said, well, he's a senior this year, or at least about to be his upperclassman. You know, I don't think he should have to go start all over again as, you know, in the undergraduate, you know, level. Let's, let's think about making him a graduate student. Let's make him that offer. And she literally, this is why we have to have advocates moving forward in every area of life for people who understand that, you know, what African-Americans go through with not, you know, sometimes coming in as well qualified as as the uh, our Caucasian brothers and sisters thinks we, we should be in order to qualify for anything, a loan, a, 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 an opportunity to get into a school, an opportunity to, uh, you know, to do anything where the majority uh, culture is going to take advantage of it first and foremost and kind of block our opportunities out, you know. Um, so she came, went to bat for me. They reluctantly, um, you know, kind of like, well, let's keep an eye on them. Let's make sure, you know, let's do some prerequisites first. And so I was registered dually my last year, uh, undergraduate year as an undergrad and as a graduate student. And a lot of people didn't believe me because I wasn't a really great undergrad student because I, because a part of me, when I see students um, like this, a part of me really knew that I need, I wanted to do something else. I didn't want to be uh, necessarily, um, you know, in the major that I was in because I really felt like I was leaving something on the table. And so I've seen students check out before because they went to school for their family or their parents or because it sounds cool to say I'm going to be a a doctor or a lawyer when really, you know, good and well, you want to, you know, create and, and tell stories or or, or be the next, you know, Jennifer Hudson or the next Beyonce or the next, you know, Denzel, you know, you, you have more inside of you to give in a different way. And so I've, you know, so I see that I understand that struggle. Um, so when she came back with the offer, you know, I took it. I said, I didn't even know I could go to grad school in theater. I didn't know I can get a master's degree in theater um, at that time. And so I did that, did my three years, you know, took some of the stuff that people are talking about now when it comes to being mixed in with um, with a predominantly white theater troupe or, or theater experience where you, you know, you have experiences and little comments that, that we used to let go because it's just the way it is, you know. Um, but nowadays that we should not let go, uh, that we should not let go of. You know, it's not a joke to say, oh, yeah, oh, you uh, remember in the blackout the smile so we can see you. You know, it's, it's not OK for anybody to say that. It's not OK to say, um, say things that um, that have been said to us generationally for so long that we have just taken it just to um, to be a part of, of uh, you know, of the larger groups, you know, activities, um, you know, knowing that, you know, you playing you're in this play. And and you you know you really want to be a part of what they're doing, but you get the maid or you or the butler role, or you get you know you know you're just as talented as all the other students, but there's not a play for you that has been designated for you to be in, so that you can be a main character, unless it's color. I have I got I got I got I got to speak I got to speak yeah. on that one. Number one, number one. No, sorry, no, you're cut good. You off. But, but number number one. Uh, two points. Number one, so I was so I was assigned a role, the role of Lucius in a um in you know in a Zoom reading uh, version of Julius Caesar, okay. right? 
Julius is a servant. This is a reading where I was the lone melanated individual among a sea of a cacolcasol. Understand? Right? Yeah. And I said to myself, "No, I'm not playing no right. servant. Absolutely right. not." Um, I mentioned this earlier in the intro how I post how I post on Facebook how 2010 me. Back in 2010, when I was 24, I would have jumped all over the roll. I just wanted to be and, seen. Yeah. But, and you I know, love the post, by the way. I saw the post. I saw the post. I loved it. Yeah, I, I deleted it because so many people were getting, were just going back. Uh, I say, you know. No, it, man. That, see, that's uh, the thing that we have to really be mindful of moving forward. Uh, uh, our people have died so that we can have this moment. Lots of people. You know, starting in 16, 19, have died for us to be able to finally uh, to be able to speak out like this. And it's taken 400 years. And uh, and, and George Floyd and, and all the other people who have been murdered on, in, in, in broad daylight in their homes, in their neighborhoods, um, at stores that we all should be able to go in and out of and... Um, and you know, so you know, I, I would never deleted the post, and I get you, I understand it. Um, but they, they, we need to go back and forth because my problem is, I'm, I'm afraid that on the local scenes, we're going to go back to business as usual if we don't. This is, this is where we play a part, whether we march in the street or not. This is where we play a, uh, play a part of really moving everything forward. Your post was not offensive. I read it, and I really, I really enjoyed what you were saying. And and I understood exactly what you were saying. So no, um, you know, uh, it'd be different if they had cast you as um, as Brutus, and then you know they might be able to say, well, we gave you a bigger part. Da da da. I can see that, but you're gonna straight up cast you in a Greek play. This is not even American play. I can understand because if if you're doing a play about the, the South and you know. Where you where there are slaves or but or servants and and according to the history should be African American should be black but in Julius Caesar in Rome you know there were people from all over their world at that time and there definitely were black people who had some kind of position some uh, African um, um, citizens who had positions in Rome even though our movies don't uh, adequately re reflect that but. To cast you as the as the only person of color in the show, uh, uh, that's African American in the show, and they make you the the servant. Oh no, no, that post was apropos. It was it was right on the money, and and we need to start having these hard conversations. If they get upset, then they get upset. Um, I'm you, it's time. You know, that. okay, so because so I will tell you this. I'm a Virgo. <laughs> I speak technically, um, so. Uh, it ain't gonna be the first time I'm gonna piss yeah. him off. Another thing, it's like it's like your it's like your life almost directly reflects mine because I could relate on so many levels. Number one, you want to talk about you want to talk about uh, making little movies and TV shows up to yourself when you're uh, when you're when you're yeah. a kid. Yeah, been there. You talk to myself all the time. You want to talk about people thinking that yeah, something's wrong exactly. with you? Been there. What? Well, I was about—I uh, was about to say—I used to—I used to while trying to find my creative energy, 
I used to bang sticks together and whatnot. My mom thought that something was seriously yes, wrong sir. with me. Yeah. You want to talk about uh, forgetting it for a while, forgetting it for a while, and uh, trying to do yeah. something else. That's how I got. That's how I got into mm-hmm. rapping. Yeah, you try to go towards something that's more yeah. acceptable uh, for, um, especially for, especially for black males who are, you know, who are really, you know, active and and, and energetic and and you know and, and has that that we have that energy and that drive and you really want to do something that is acceptable and so yeah you do gravitate towards things and not that i you know i enjoyed being you know involved in sports and would not have changed it for the world as far as participation in sports is concerned but i w- probably would have just like i did with my music self i would have uh explored a little bit more my dramatic arts self i mean because i even did arts because my dad was was a great um, he, he could draw like nobody's business. Uh, I didn't get that. I could sculpt and um, and create abstract pieces that uh, that I thought were you know pretty good. Uh, so I even you know took art classes, everything except the dramatic side. So um, because that was you know so taboo in our in our communities, and I even I even hear now the students that would want to do theater or do plays, you know have you know issues with explaining to their family why they're you know why they're going to that side of of the arts um even even counselors on 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 my campus sometimes you know try to steer students away from taking some of my classes or getting involved uh with the dramatic arts as a minor or trying to find a way to make dramatic arts an emphasis in their academic um major so um so yeah so it still happens in our communities um there's so many reasons why i guess somebody would say that or or think that but i think a lot of times our church culture um can sometimes um misinterpret uh rightly so you know um just like they do you know with secular music and like no everything that needs to be done needs to stay you know stay in the church side um but with you know with telling stories there's so many stories that need to be told that they can't just be told from that perspective you know and also being a person who was raised in the church that sometimes you you know you 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 know you have to take on characters that that whose lives reflect a, a larger truth so that we can get at you know some of these things uh that help to make you know pe- people's lives easier as they see you know these reflections on the screen you know um um, so, you know, so sometimes culturally we can move away from theater and, it, and there's so many historical reasons, you know, uh, that have to do with, uh, you know, how theater was introduced to the world historically, you know, when you know, the time when when only men was, you know, did theater. And so even the men would take on women's parts. So, you know, there may be a family resistance to to that. Um, the fact that a lot of uh, women uh, initially in the in the you know Shakespeare days were considered you know a little less than prostitutes uh, so it may have something to do with that moving forward history moving forward um, the fact that you know some religious sects considered you know taking the time out to go see a play or to be a part of a play as laziness and not doing you know not doing work you know uh, because you know 
people used to wonder how I made my money when I was had my own theater company and family members even thought, oh, he's just lazy, don't want to take a job. I was like, how many jobs do I have to take to prove to you that I have no problem working? You know, I can work. I've worked so many jobs before theater that you can't tell me I don't know how to work. But then it may be, oh, he just can't stay at a job. No, I don't want to stay at doing this, watching the clock kind of stuff. I really want to create. And so, um, so yeah, so there's so many reasons why theater becomes the last thing that, uh, that African-American, especially African-Americans, but I've, I've seen the same thing from, from some former white students that I've had before as well, that, um, that families don't want to spend the kind of money to send you to college to get a degree in theater. You know, it's just, you know, just not done, um, without some kind of fight or sacrifice. You know, you know, it's crazy that you it's crazy that you say all this because a couple of things that I realized is number one, we theater people, we are a society, we are a sect, we are a we are a group of people we to are. ourselves. We are. You know, yes. we're basically we're basically either we're we're basically the either the outcast. The pariahs, the or weirdos. just the people that society—they <laughs> call us weirdos, all kinds of stuff. That's a, and also, here is the thing: okay, people, people are talking all that, talking all that junk about theater, talking about um, you should not do it or anything. When really, in react, but really, if you think about it, rather a student, rather a kid grows up and does theater at any point in their life later later on in their life still the the the, the elements of theater could greatly benefit any student especially yeah. a younger student why why because it teaches community it teaches teamwork it teaches dedication oh you gotta be dedicated to do yeah. theater 100 it teaches discipline it teaches uh creativity in which you need to be creative in every single aspect yeah, of life. Yeah, I mean, it also teaches the fact that uh, you can't just quit something because you're afraid. Because I've seen people who thought they really wanted to do it and, and had been through a rehearsal process, but as soon as that audience comes in, they get all nervous and decide they, they don't want to do it. And it's like, no, you got to overcome the fear. You have to overcome um, thinking that you can't do it, do things. Uh, I've had students in other majors um, who have continually taken classes because it's, they say it helps their memory to have to, because I make my students memorize monologues and, and when you get into a play, you have to memorize your lines. And I've had students repeatedly take classes because they know I'm going to challenge them and it grew their memory so that they could do biology and psychology and other areas. So I've seen proof that, that students who may not do theater beyond my classes get benefits from being um, in this area. Uh, so yeah, so it can benefit students on, and having taught at, at theater camps or artistic camps, uh, I've seen you know behavior change when students participate in, in theater or drama or videos, you know, where they have to be, and they learn how to empathize with other people because they can walk in the shoes of these characters and do things that they don't have to apologize for. And then once they leave this character, feel like they have contributed to the world or they, they've experienced something because they were able to do that um, on the stage. 
as as con as intelligent as educated as I'm becoming all of that as people think uh perceive me to be being involved in theater has greatly grown me yeah as it does a person. it can it can. That can it really can and uh and no matter what your level of intelligence is um it can enhance your world and the information that you have in your you know in your world because you know intelligence has a lot to do with how much how much do you know about the world how much have you accepted in the world and then what you hold in your in your you know in your memory banks and what you hold and understand to be true or things that you you know questions that you have even expand because let's say you're doing a role and you having to play a doctor, you know nothing about the medical field, but you just expanded your whole knowledge base if you have the right director and process that make you go and look up terms that are medical and understand medical practices and understand what you know what's what's right and true about diseases and that kind of thing. Because uh, you know, truth be told, you know, being in this pandemic, there's a whole lot that uh, that creativity you know, has to play in making sure that this thing um, has a um, a shelf life that's shorter than they, what they, than what they have pre uh, predicted. You have to have an imagination because uh, to see, you know, how to go down the road with a lot of things that catch us off guard or catch us by surprise. Uh, that's, the, that's the other thing with being a part of theater. Um, you know, you're not surprised by much because you, you also deal with so many different personalities and in live theater, you know, something could go horribly wrong or different than you imagined in rehearsal. And you still have to keep going. You have to say your lines. You have to get through the play all the way to the end. And I think that's what a lot of scientists, you know, um, you know, nurses, um, doctors especially need um, in this day and time where things, you know, don't always go as prescribed. You know, I tell my students all the time. So you know some people say well i don't like to do theater because i don't know exactly what's going to happen and you creative people are always you know changing up stuff i said so so when there's an emergency at a hospital you knew that was going to happen you knew they were going to bring in an ambulance full of people um the day that you signed on um no you didn't so what do you have to do you have to improvise in every area did you know your business was gonna was gonna fall did you know that that the economy was going to tank and that you need to be creative in order to keep your books? Even in normal times, you know, a lot of businesses don't make it. And so um, the, but the creative ones do. So so there's a lot to be said for creativity being a part of of our everyday lives just as much as as anything else when it comes to um you know, choosing professions and, and and we certainly must have a balance. You know, everybody that feels like they should be, you know, performing doesn't necessarily mean that that's what you're supposed to do. Maybe you're supposed to be a creative doctor. Maybe you're supposed to have a great bedside manner as a nurse. Maybe you're supposed to be um, uh, 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 involved in, in religion and you know how to empathize with people. There's so many things that, uh, you know, just like with a lot of other areas where children participate in, uh, you know, and dance and music and get great qualities that they pick up and carry uh, as uh, as adult human beings. Speaking of, speaking of children, it's, it's funny how you it's, it's funny how you it's very improvisational training that occurs in theater to all the different um, 
to all those to all to all those different fields in life because I cannot tell you how many times I had leaned upon my improvisational training during those days when I had to go to war with those kids <laughs> over at Calvary yeah. Kids. As a teacher in any profession, I mean, any area for teaching, you definitely have to be creative. Yeah, you have to and improv because you don't know uh, what you're going to face day to day. Exactly. Now, I'm going to I'm going to take a second and step out of the seat of a step out of the seat uh-huh. of the interviewer, and I want to sit back and listen. And I want and I want anybody else who is listening to this conversation to listen because you came up under the tutelage of the Larry yes. Leon Hammond. Yes. I told the people. That you, Mr. Minkins, are a beacon of theater here in our back here in our backyard. Before all of your beaconness <laughs> made up a word. There you go, cre- creativity, man. Oh yeah. So oh yeah, I do it all the time. So for all of your beaconanity, you were fed, you were fed lots of jewels from yes. a legend. So I would like to what was what was it like being under the tutelage of Mr. Well, <laughs> and people who are listening who who also knew uh, Mary, um, it was it was really eye opening, and it was it was so necessary. Um, uh, like I said, Dr. Jones introduced me. She draw she she made me follow her to Winston Salem because I had all this theater under my belt from UNC Greensboro. Um, uh, you know, on and off the stage, um, the main, off and off the main stage, I should say. And, um, and there was so much that I was compromising, you know, to be a part of this, you know, this very white theater experience, um, except for a few, you know, a few shows here and there where, um, we weren't really free with the budget to do African American based shows uh, on a regular basis. So, um, so she drove me to, she, I mean, she didn't drive me there. Uh, she made me follow. And I didn't know why she didn't drive me. That was one of the things it was like, okay, I'm following her to Winston Salem. Uh, she drops me off. She drops me off in Larry's office at the black rep office and says, Hey, here's your theater father. Uh, Larry, this is Andre. Andre, this is Larry. I've done my job. I'm gone. And she leaves. And Larry and I are standing there looking at each other going, um, Okay, what she expects us to do now, and so she was like, "Okay," he was like, "Okay, Betty Jean, okay." So, uh, so he and I talked, and we, you know, try, you know, came up with a schedule, you know, and, and tried to get to know each other, and, and as as far as what he could do for me or what I could do for him, and you know, we tried a couple of things. Uh, uh, in fact, when he went to New York to uh, to have this meeting that we didn't know was about the theater festival happening in North Carolina, it was a meeting in New York of all the theater minds, African-American theater minds, uh, and they were going to try to decide how to make this theater happen in New York, uh, how to make this festival happen. Uh, and so I manned the office, myself and a couple of other um, you know, um, intern types uh, or, or office you know, employees you know, man, the office while he was gone. And when he got back that even that night, um, or it might've been the next day, but I know I was in the office and it was nighttime. He was like, he was like, forget it. I'm going to, you know, and using stronger words than that and said, I'm going to do it here. I'm going to do it right here in North Carolina. Y'all with me? And so we were like, 
yeah, Larry, you know, sitting right there in the office, um, you know, whatever you want to do, let's do it. And so um, it took a little, you know, it took a lot of planning, of course. And by that time I had graduated from, you know, UNC Greensboro with my master's degree and was out, you know, was beginning to teach. And then I was also begin um, at the at the elementary level initially and then at the college level uh, that next year. And um, and he, you know, he sent me a message that said, you know, come home in the summer. We, we, you know, we can work on it and, you know, we get ready to work on this thing. And so he had set the wheels in motion and, you know, and, and I was, you know, I was I was there when he uh, when he when the festival first started. I was my job was to collect the information from the theater companies from around the country um, uh, and help him to create the you know the the information that was going to go into the newspaper now you have to understand we didn't have all of this you know all this computer stuff we were just getting into that computer age so we you know so i literally had to call these theater companies long distance we didn't have cell phones and i know i'm dating myself now but uh but i literally had to and i didn't know how i didn't take up typing in high school even though everything in my body told me you know, do that. You know, hear the small voice in the back of your head. Okay, you better do that. I didn't. I didn't listen. I didn't take typing. So here I am asked to help him gather this information and, and present it before him while he's doing the other thousands of things that he needed to do to make sure that this thing happened. Um, so I'm calling theater department, I mean, theaters and getting their information and typing all this stuff out, you know, the stuff they, they were faxing and and emailing and I'm you know I'm helping to you know make corrections that Larry needed me to make and sometimes his response to my mistakes were not you know pleasant <laughs> uh it it was but if you know it felt like a father trying to drive um a son into a place where he needs to be you know so uh so I didn't resent him for it um uh, again it didn't always feel good but I knew it was for my benefit, you know, and, you know, by this time, you know, I'm a grown man for real. But but I, I wanted to be mentored and apprenticeships oftentimes took that form before we had all of these, you know, college programs and, and summer programs when the world, you know, relied on gills and you had to, you know, you had to grow into your position. You didn't just you just you weren't just handed the keys. Right. So uh, so I appreciated what he was doing for me. Uh, so we did that the first festival um, and then uh, when Maya Angelou got involved and uh, and we knew celebrities were about to you know be a part of this whole thing um, it was surreal the first day the the white limousine pulled up um, I, I didn't know who was in the car and Larry uh, looked at myself and the late William Bird Wilkins, who was a classmate of mine at, at UNC Greensboro, uh, went to the door, went to the limousine. And when we opened the door, because the, the, you know, the windows were tinted, so we couldn't see who was inside. And Larry was kind of smirking. He knew who, who was in the car, but we didn't. And when we opened the door and, my, and Maya Angelou got out on his side and Oprah got out on my side, it was like, okay. All right, this is surreal, but I got, I'm an actor. Both of us are actors, so we had to keep our cool. And, you know, and we escort them up to that press conference that used, you know, the press conference is huge now, but it used to be in a room in the hotel. And you, you know, one of those, um, you know, um, 
meeting rooms and then they would they would be interviewed you know to show at a later date because it wasn't this automatic we can post it in live and all that kind of stuff so uh so they would take that interview um and then when um i saw when we were walking back to the limousine after the interview saw maya and uh and oprah whispering a little bit and then they said larry you know, maya said larry um what are these two young men doing this evening and he said whatever you want Maya." and she said we would like for them she said we would like for them to escort us to the uh gala and to the play afterwards so you know so that you know that became our assignment and I'm telling you, if there had been Facebook, I would have been posting. I'd have been, you know, we'd have been, you know, putting up pictures and stuff. But we didn't have that then. So, so uh, they leave, and then you know we get prepared for the for the gala that evening. And um, I go to that gala, and um, and we're getting the tables ready. And you know, Oprah's people start coming in, you know, including Stedman and Andrea's hairdresser, uh, the her hairdresser, and the, you know, everybody in her entourage. And um, hello, are we still, we still on? Yeah, I'm here. Sorry about that. Okay, all right. Yeah. So, um, so that that gala happens, and towards the end of the gala. Um, Larry gave me the eye. You know how your parents give you the eye from the from the choir stand. Larry gave me the eye, you know, to meet to meet him at the side. And so I met him at the side. He said, you know, let's go ahead and get Oprah out of here. And so I went up the stairs. The dais, you know, was raised in the back stairs. Where it was a long set of stairs in the back. Uh, initially, the way they had it set up. And so I opened the, you know, I opened the door or whatever curtain or whatever, whatever it was, and you know, and reached from uh, for Oprah. She took my arm. She said, "Ooh, baby, don't let me fall down these stairs." I said, "I got you." So we, so we go down the stairs, uh, and we go through the kitchen so that you know everybody doesn't know she's leaving, so that she would have you know a clearer exit to get into the limo and the and the to the theater without being mobbed and whatnot. And so uh, my orders were not to let anybody stop her or speak to her. But as we were going through the kitchen, she saw that the kitchen people were eating, you know, collard greens and, you know, fried chicken and cornbread and, you know, good stuff. Cause we had that, that, you know, hotel foo foo food, you know, whatever, wherever they catered it from. And she said, I should have ate back here in the kitchen with y'all. You know, and everybody laughed when they looked up and saw it was Oprah and, you know, but I had to keep it moving. And then we go through uh, the Ben Convention Center, uh, you know, lobby to get out to where the cars are. We got stopped by one uh, person who said, Oprah, um, I'm your white sister or your white cousin. No, she said, I'm your white cousin. And Oprah, she fell out laughing about that and, and, and allowed this, you know, allowed her to have, you know, to get that autograph. And then uh, I put them in the car. And um, and then I walked around, you know, I went back in to make sure everything was cool as the gala was ending. And I walked around to the theater. And once they let uh, Oprah and Maya out of the car, uh, we escorted them to sit down and see the show, which was Don't Bother Me, I Can't Cope. Right. Um, that the fest that the that the rep was opening. And here I am watching this play sitting in between Maya Angelou and Oprah Winfrey. I was I was in heaven. I, I was done. I didn't have to do anything else after that uh, in my mind at the time. And um, and then after the show, you know, intermission, you know, we, we make sure that Maya and, um, and Oprah are okay when it comes to, you know, 
going to the restrooms and that kind of stuff and talking to people in the intermission. Um, so I mean, you know, we escorting, uh, escorting them and watching them stop and talk to Ozzy Davis and Ruby D and, and Ashford and Simpson and all these people mm. that I had, you know, we had grown up looking at and, and music we were listening to. Uh, it was a who's who studded thing. And it was, I'm in the middle of all this, just pinching myself. Right. Uh, so after the play, I walk up, uh, I make sure that Oprah gets over to, um, I can't recall now the, whether we walked to the hotel or whether she, we did the same thing. I think we put her into the limousine and I, I met her. Yeah, I met her at the hotel, walked her up to where, you know, people are supposed to stop and look at the celebs, you know, behind the rope. But that was the first one, first time we had done that. So it was really awkward. Um, Oprah was sitting in, we were sitting in the corner right at the doors where, where you can have an exit if we needed it. But people were just stopping and looking and we didn't know. We, they, they didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to say they needed to do because it was so new. Uh, now we, you know, we know how to navigate that room and people don't trip, you know, when they see celebrities in the room and they know how to get their autographs and navigate that whole thing. But at that time, it was so new. And um, <clears throat> and then um, Oprah danced. I think she wanted to dance or something. And then, you know, something happened and then we left. <clears throat> and, excuse me, and then it was time for her to leave. She was ready to go when she left. Uh, I won't tell that whole story about why she wanted to leave, but she, you know, we left. And, I mean, she Ooh. left. And then after that, um, you know, I had my story. But um, it was an awesome experience. Um, the only problem with, um, you know, volunteering and working for organizations in other capacities than, you know, than being an artist is that sometimes they get to know you that way and that's all they know about you. They know, you know, I'm the celebrity guy when, you know, when stuff, things happen at the festival, um, you know, I, I'm the celebrity guy. You know, I, I still help at the festival by greeting people at the airport in Greensboro and those kinds of things. But then being accepted as an artist, uh, it gets it gets tough because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm well-trained. Um, you know, all the talent has, you know, is all marinated together and I can, I can compete on stage with anybody. Uh, but, um, but when they don't know that about you because you're serving in other capacities, uh, which I don't mind because if this festival is going to happen right here in my backyard, I felt it was my obligation to be a part of making sure that it, you know, it's worked smoothly. So, um, so that whole 30 year, 30 year pitch, uh, period in history, uh, I've participated more than not uh, there there did come a time in the middle there a couple of times where I felt like I wanted to step away or needed to step away and just be a participant and just watch shows um, you know I've directed readings there I have been in shows uh, been asked to be you know I was a, um, a backup singer for um, you know for Stephanie Mills and uh, not not for Stephanie Mills for um, uh um uh, Jennifer, uh, Jennifer, she's saying, and the first one who's saying, and I'm telling you, um, yeah, Jennifer Holiday, backup singer for Jennifer Holiday, and then when she quit the show, um, they brought in another singer, uh, dynamic uh, singer, and we, um, Diane Reeves, and then. Uh, so we did that. And as a matter of fact, there were some people who were from Winston-Salem who knew me as, as a singer as well and didn't know I was in the show. Um, and 
asked me after the show they were like, weren't what was that you singing in the background of the show and i was like yeah yeah it was me because um because we really i mean really had fun doing that show uh i was in the show that yolanda king and atala shabazz malcolm x's daughter and malcolm uh, dr king's daughter used to have a theater company together so i i had a small role in that show um and I have I've actually helped other people get their shows into the festival as well. So um, and I've been asked um, like in Tampa with the you know with the Tampa Bay folks and you know folks in Atlanta, uh, I have was asked to help them uh, in their inaugural years um, with you know questions answered. I really got in came on board with the Atlanta Black Theater Festival their second year. Uh, the DC Festival I came on board like their third year I think it was um, because of my knowledge I was able to help them and experiences I was able to help them you know shore up their idea and then, and then to let them know that they weren't crazy that that you know that if you had an idea and, a, and an urge that you you know where you wanted to have a theater festival go ahead you know do it you know do it where you are um, and often you know uh, the brother and sister that started the Tampa Festival that's what I told them initially <clears throat> excuse me they actually were in they were in the festival in DC and you know said they wanted to do that and I said why not go ahead so they started their festival um, and there are so many people that I've encouraged to because um, I believe there's enough room for all of us at the table and, I, and as we move forward we're going to have to play that out we can't be just satisfied with being the, you know, the black person at the table that is blessed to, you know, to make their money or their living doing this. We have to include and try to bring in as many of us as possible. You know, we get afraid when you look in the room and there's two of us or three of us in there. But it's like if there's a thousand people in that room, why are you scared to have more than three black people in the room? Right. Are we going to embarrass each other? Uh, and it's not our responsibility to police each other when we get in that room. If everybody, you know, everybody has a different take on on life uh, because of their experiences in blackness, then, you know, we should all, you know, be represented in that, you know, in those rooms. And it's time out for us to to just be OK because master let us in. Right. We should be we should be pushing for there to be more festivals, more African-Americans who are uh, who can who can act and write and direct who have been trained to do lighting and sound to be, you know, all up in these theater companies, all up in these art council meetings and and the ones getting the grants uh, and, and the money. And I mean, it's, it's time out, you know, for us being OK with being the few in the room, um, you know, um, and I know we get, you know, we get excited when we get opportunities and, you know, we have to, and then we get that mindset. Well, everybody else kind of going to have to fend for themselves, or I'm going to have to be the gatekeeper or the doorkeeper, which sometimes has to happen, you know, where we have to be the gatekeeper and, and keep our head down and, um, and acquiesce and be apologetic and just kind of grin and bear it until we can let some other black folks in. But I think we need to all come to the door at the same time now, you know. Um, and, and again, I loved going back to the, the festival days. I loved everything that I was able to accomplish, all the people I was able to meet. Um, so now when I go, you know, be honest with you, when I go to New York or L.A., when I was touring and traveling, all of those same people, you know, who know me from the festival have been so gracious 
because of the hospitality that we have, you know, exhibited to them here in North Carolina. And, you know, I could I could literally pick up the phone or or, you know, bump into somebody in New York or L.A. Um, and and they would take care of me. You know, I've been taken care of so many times going out of town. And I think that's the story of a lot of us that have been, you know, serving at this festival all these years that that we have allies all over the country and, and in some in different parts of the world because we've had South South African theater companies, you know, theater companies from England, um, I believe the Caribbean and other parts, Brazil um, has tried to get in a couple, you know, so many times. So so we have, you know, black theater companies and, and artists who uh, have bonded over this one in North Carolina um, that it, that is also birthed other theater festivals in the country too, with more to come. Because I think we should have theater festivals from coast to coast. You know, um, the time that the thing is, we won't all be able to go to all of them. You know, I've been able and managed to go to every theater festival each year that is done. Uh, so I'll, I'll go to Atlanta and then I'll go to Nashville. No, really, I'd go to Tampa first because there's in September. They're in September. And then there's October, where it's Nashville and Atlanta. Um, and then, um, you know, of course, North Carolina is every other year in, in August. So on the odd year, the National Black Theater Festival is first, you know, because it's in August. And I'll go September, October. Uh, and, and then we'll keep going uh, if we have other theater festivals in other parts of the country. Because I know that there's one in Chicago that's kind of like a taste. It's a smaller theater festival um, called. I think it's uh, it's in, you know it's really sm uh, much smaller than the other festivals, but is also impactful for the people who are participating. But I don't get a chance to go to that one because it's the same time as the one in Atlanta. So, so I know if we create more theater festivals. Uh, we won't be be able to get to all of them, but it would be nice to know that we are that we begin to have more of them. Oh, and DC is in June or July oftentimes. So that that might be the first one uh, as well, depending on what year it is. So, um, go ahead. No, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, I was about to say, so for one thing, after hearing that story, the way, the way that, um, the way that you were, the way that you were told to come to Winston Salem, met your mentor, and he put you to work, sounds very okay. familiar, <laughs> very okay. familiar right now. And number two, number two, I like how you said number one. That sounds like that sounds like a heck of a night. I'm telling you, that sounds like a heck of a night. I would have been trying to get Oprah's <laughs> number or something. Well, yeah, and, no, and you know, and Larry had his, you know, had his ways of doing things, but he was very intuitive. Um, you know, he was a genius. You know, it's, you know, it's when you, when you, you know, it's sometimes, you know, people know they have a high IQ and, you know, and you can kind of like understand that you, you know, that you're smart, that you can, you know, that you can adapt. But when you meet somebody who, whose genius is just, you know, it's evident when they walk into the room you know, you're on your toes all day. You know, it's it's crazy. Uh, my father was kind of like that. And so uh, so I wasn't unprepared for the Larry Leon types um, uh, because, you know, my father kept me on, on my toes in the same kind of way when he was um, in my life um, early on. And uh, and so I 
you know, so I wasn't unfamiliar with that type of training, um, with that kind of person, but he was, he was so intuitive. He knew the people to put in different places. He knew that I wasn't going to try to, you know, you know, rap to Oprah. He knew that I was going to do my job and I was going to be respectful and try to represent him and North Carolina and Winston-Salem and Maya in the right way. So, you know, um, um, I'm sorry, I can hear my voice repeating, but you also mentioned having a yes. CF table, mm-hmm. right? I, yeah. And you, and see when I, and what, what I was going to say, and, oh, ahead, and those of us who were the, the young theater folks, uh, in the country, had those same conversations with Larry and his colleagues who were older and who had been in the business for a while. We, you know, we, we, we asked them, demanded, asked, begged if they would give us more responsibility or train us and take us under their wings in order to, to help us to do what they were doing. Um, and I don't know if they were prepared to do that at the time because really, you know, African-American theater was, you know, was, in existence but we were so far behind where we should have been that this festival helped you know to really um help those those theater you know uh stars and geniuses like august wilson and some of these other folks that i met during this time this helped to equal the playing field level the playing field for them because now they were the stars and the most important people in the room in 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 the th- theater, television, and film world, by coming to North Carolina to this festival, so I don't think they were prepared right yet at that time to make that transition to let us in when they weren't really in when it came to leaving Winston Salem and going out into the you know into Hollywood and and Broadway and New York and all that kind of stuff. So so you know so so yes, seat at the table like you're saying. Um, now I think we have a chance. Uh, those of us who are older now to say, okay, well, how can we help this generation do for us what the other generation couldn't really do as effectively as I think they may have wanted to? And, and the crazy thing, crazy thing said is, okay, so I look at the I look at the relationship between us, I, uh, the the dialogue between us. And I know that, and I look at the type of plays I'll be finding myself just coming out with when I'm writing. And I know that I can't speak for the rest of my generation, but I know that you could help me um, shoot, yeah. get my own table. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like build yeah. my own table. But I'm not going to lie to you, Mr. Minkins. I'm not going to lie to you. There were times in the past in my earlier in my earlier theatrical years where I thought I was I was that guy saying oh yippee hallelujah I got this right. seat at the white table these white folks finna let me up in here and <laughs> sing and dance and do, do all oh, yeah. Amer- yeah, America has trained us well and America has trained us well <laughs> and I and and I don't know why I always give this disclaimer, but I'm going to give it. I do. I love my white friends. Shout out to them. But I view being the only black, the only black face in a white uh, production completely differently than I did in the past. 
in the past, like I said, jumping on chair, jumping off of chairs, dancing so happy to do it. Now, as I did with as I did with Julius Caesar, I said, I'm not gonna yeah. be your coon. I'm not yeah. cooning for nobody. I am not uh if if you if you if you invite me to the table, cool. I mean Y'all uh, don't season things uh, all that well, but you know I'm, I'm I'm gonna come on to the table and we go and we gonna rock and see what happens. Like I am with much do about nothing. They uh, much do about nothing. They've been really good to me. Um, but having dialogue with you, spent time, spent time in uh, my my friend Ronald Lavender's plays. That man can write his behind off. Um. Dialoguing with Tamika Allen, seeing Black Rep, reading August Wilson. I'm like, Dad, gone. Love to my love to my Caucasian cohorts, but dang it, I'm loving my I'm loving my Wakandan table right now. Yeah, it, it does. Yeah, it and does put I you in a different it. headspace, you know. Yeah, go speak that. Have you ever found yourself in a? Have you ever found yourself? Uh, you know, like uh, thank you, ma- thank you, Mister White Man, for letting me see the table. I have, um, yeah, I have, and it's been, um, you're, you're conflicted because you, you, you do recognize that, uh, that some people have decided that they're going to go against the grain and and allow you in, but, um, but you have to also, you know, then you have to also pinch yourself and say, wait a minute, hold on, that still doesn't mean that everything is all right but I've, I've definitely been there I've, I've been there when you know when I was I was very glad I have so many uh, you know people that have helped me along in this business you know that aren't African American and I am you know really grateful for that but now that we're now that we're requiring them to, to ask you know themselves what can they do to help as we move forward I think now is the time because they're open to the dialogue before this window closes. Because you have to understand, I have seen protests before. I have seen people in the streets before. I have seen, uh, you know, we have, as a country have seen some of the most horrific things happen on this soil. And then everybody goes about their business and life just, you know, starts to become, you know, life as usual. And we have to begin, we have to continue to remind them and and understand that since 1619 you had let us you have let us we've been waiting in line for our turn and now you know everybody has been put ahead of us every time we think we've gotten it they put people ahead of us and then you know just like now already if you if you really watch the commentaries now there's they're turning more to the phrase people of color and i'm gonna hold on hold up wait wait a minute is it still, even though our, our brothers and sisters of color will benefit from this, this is about blackness right now, right? This is about saying, finally, we're going to let you in to get your sandwich. We're going to let you into the theater. We're not going to let you wait in line any longer and be ashamed of the fact that you're, that you are African based, that you're Negroid. Because um, even some of our brothers and sisters who aren't, you know, listed as as you know as black uh because you know they didn't see themselves as black 
Well, that's because the world is okay with you not seeing yourself as black. You know, you don't have anybody else saying, well, I didn't see myself as as white. I didn't see myself as British. You know, I didn't see myself or that's all I saw was myself as British or that's all I saw. So so we have to really begin to question the whole construct, the whole world, because the world got together on slavery. Let's let's not you know, let's not mistake the, the whole the, the whole beginnings of the thing. The whole world got together on this. So the whole world is also responsible for the for what we're seeing and what we're experiencing, what we're experiencing now. And it's really not odd. Because you understand how, you know, how the world works and cycles and the fact that it's not odd that now the whole world has come together to say, that's why I think this this time is really different. The world, whole world has come together again, like they did in the 60s with Dr. King to say, enough is enough. Let's change the dialogue. Let's not be afraid, no matter what country we're from, to own our blackness. You can you can be uh, culturally whatever you want to be, but let's not let's not be so culturally identified, you know, with one group so much so that we deny that we have the blackness in us, right? And you you looking, you looking as brown as I Man. am, but you're not black. Okay, okay, okay. Let's, let's, I will yeah, let's let's go ahead and keep that dialogue going and see where that's going to get us. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So so right now it's about yeah, blackness, yeah. so that we can all accept around the world, we can all accept our, our blackness with grace and dignity and with pride, but not because we think we're better than anybody else. That's never been us. It's never been us, right? Um, but because we want to be respected and be okay and happy about our blackness and not trying to hide it. Oh, you know, and we always talk, we always grinning and laughing when we say, oh, well, you know, I got some European, I got some British in me too. But I don't, okay, you have European in you, that's good. But why is that more important than the fact that you have, that you have, you know, that you are, you know, rejoicing about the African that you have in you too, right? I, 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 did, I have an ancestry.com has done a couple years ago and really it's the African ancestry test I need to do not ancestry.com ancestry.com just give you the reach they don't give right. you the precise tribe however it I did that and I saw that I derived from a lot from a lot of West African mm-hmm. areas and I saw that I saw some very European yeah. places and plus I know that my grandmother's my grandmother's uh, grandfather, so that would make my uh, three times grandfather, I think, he was white. So I, mean, I we, do have white all, in me. I mean, and most um, of us I, do. If you were if you were in the area of the South where they where they broke you by making sure that your family was not intact, um, it was a tactic. It was a tactic of the um, of the whole. Um, uh, construct of of making this whole slavery business work. It was a part of the part of the tactics and and part of being human. When you understand that, um, you know uh, that you have desires based on what you're seeing. You know, people. You know, people did. You know, gave into the, some of those desires, but it wasn't. You know, but to you know, but to say it was love and to say, oh, you know, Thomas Jefferson was a love story. Uh no, sorry. No, she was still a slave. It'd been a love story. It'd been a love story if, if Sally Hemings had been freed before he put himself upon her, but not under the context that it happened. No, 
Well, yeah, and it, it's crazy when I looked at the when I looked at the three European uh, nations that that may or may not be part of my DNA. I saw Ireland, I saw Scotland, I saw Wales, I saw England. I was like, dang, I'm 26 percent white. I don't want to be white, but Quarles is an English last name. So I mean, but the, the history is so convoluted, and it, you know, and this is why it's taken 400 years because it is complicated. It's not very simple at all. Um, you know how we feel, how we've come to our conclusions. There'll be some, there'll be even some African Americans that will never uh, understand what the protest uh, at certain levels is about. You know, um, and why we should continue this dialogue and and hold everybody accountable. Um, there are, of course, going to be some whites who are not who are never going to understand what the fuss is about. I mean, I have I have I have sat through meetings and I've been in classroom settings where people don't think racism still exists, and it's like I, that's nothing I can do to, to convince you if you haven't experienced it. But trust me, you are a product, good or bad of of that of that whole system so uh whether your family owns slaves or not you you still are part of you know of being able to benefit from the system being in place um and if you're a black family that never experienced racism god bless you but that's not reality it's not reality for all of us and you and you certainly are in a um in a in a bubble that's you know that's fortunate but I, 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 you know, it's I, I think you'd be hard pressed to find anybody African-American that, that hadn't experienced anything when they look back on it. You know, something, you know, whether it was a whether it's that 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 message that goes off. Maybe you didn't notice the message that went off. And when you walked into Walmart to, to, to check the aisles, uh, maybe you maybe you missed it when uh, when you were um, let into something and you were the only one in there you know maybe you missed it uh but um but i do certainly understand that everybody's psyche can't go there you know to that place i was just say i was just say there was once a point in time when i was trying to assimilate and try to like make myself as white leaning as possible but now I love being black. I love being African. I love being comedic. I love being a Kushite. I love all of it. I love my roots and I only wish to further it and inform and inform our people of it through theater. That is the, that is the device that I've been given to help to uh, quote unquote do yeah. things for the culture. But also, but also, Shoot, I was about to go somewhere and, and it just slipped my mind. My 34-year-old line, mind is, is going crazy <laughs> well, it's, right it's now. a lot happening. But so there's a lot happening. I was, that, 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 that's where I was going. See, that's where I was going. See, you know how people, you know how people try to be all politically correct and say, oh, when I see you, I don't see color. I'm, my, right. I'm like, no. See color, yeah. I want you to see. That's who I am. Yeah, but I I understand what they were trying to do, and and though that trying was misguided, it 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 at least was an attempt. But you know, it's no longer good enough. Um, it never was good enough, really. You know, you you know, let a lot of people tell it. But but you know, being being a creative artist, 
that's that's a part of the gift but also part of the curse is that we can be empathetic and understand where somebody's coming from but that still doesn't mean that we should allow it you know this still doesn't mean that we shouldn't uh speak on it so that that trying that seemed to be good enough in the past is no longer good enough right we need to be in all the unions we need to be let in into to all of the you know the different rooms and organizations that um that everybody else can be let into you know you know of course people still have to qualify but the qualifications should not be such that we cannot um that you know we're not going to be able to achieve you know you because even now with this money that is given out most of the minority uh you know people of color and african-american uh, companies businesses can't even fill this thing out because it's, it has things on it that that we can't either answer or things that that are not applicable to us you know so you know and then a lot of times the money goes so fast because you know how did everybody else find out about it and we're just finding out about it? you know so there's so many things that handicap us when it comes to this this whole notion of real inclusion and i think we uh we're going to get there i thank god for your younger people who are out in the streets and who who decided they weren't going to take it anymore because it could have been just another you know rioting situation another march another protest situation that we have seen over and over and over again every 20 years every 30 years um there's a breakthrough and, and a setback and we have we, we're having the breakthrough now i'm praying praying hard that the setback uh, will not just you know kick in and and we um and we haven't fixed what we need what needs to be fixed so a couple, so a couple my point on that because i can tell you are itching to uh address the whole the uh the george floyd uh protests and everything which he yeah. has funeral today i'm i'm gonna say this i'm gonna tell you this so me, um, I found myself becoming more socially conscious and socially aware back in 2015. It, I don't know. It was something about my 30th year where things start, where lights started uh -huh. to come on for me. But, but, um, but, so I, I, I went to a march. I went to a, uh, the protest that was held in down, held downtown yes. on a Sunday. And it was so yes. powerful. Jordan Speed, shout out to him. He was mm. MCing the entire event. I, I didn't know he was down with him. Okay. I didn't know. Um, but I looked around, I saw so many beautiful black faces. I saw some I saw faces of all kinds. I even interviewed I even interviewed a few a few pro a, a, a few protesters. This is my this is my mindset when it comes to the whole thing. What happened to George Floyd, what happened to Armin Armin Arbery? Marcus Deion Smith, Breonna Taylor, heck, Emmett Till, Trayvon Martin, uh, Shoe, Ronnie King getting behind Wolf, uh, Oscar Grant, Michael Brown, Sandra Bland, me in 2017. They tried to take me out. Um, it's all a bunch of craziness. It's all a bunch of bullcrap that is uh, lined up. That is lined up from a corrupt, um, from a corrupt, very corrupt law enforcement. Well, um, organization. Well, I was. Well, I hate to cut you off. What 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 I was going to oh, say okay. is that if you have an organization and you know they started out as the as the people 
who were catching slaves to bring them uh, escape slaves and bringing them back yeah. to their masters. So when you have organizations yeah. that's that that that's based and its foundation is is steeped in something that um, is a part of the past, then then you have you know because that was legal back in that day back in the past. Um, but then we changed the laws and you know and 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 and. and uh, got away from that but this organization still grows out of that it's it's tough you know because it's at the root it's at the root of that thing so we've got to find a way to prune it back so that you know we can't change the root system but we can definitely you know find a way to cleanse it um and if not you you uh you find a way to uh you know, repurpose it, you know, like a house, you can, you can go back and build a new foundation. You know, you can gut the house out and build a new foundation. Um, cause we, we definitely still need, um, uh, a group that's going to serve and protect, but you actually created a serve and protect out of a, uh, catch and get uh dead or alive kind of situation. So it's, it's tough. Um, but I, I think that, um, that you're you're right on the money. Uh, I was also have been a victim of this kind of of treatment, and fortunately, it did not result in in death or scarring of some kind. Uh, but it was definitely emotionally scarring. When I had my own touring company, I toured the country, um, and I worked with a company also uh, named Poetry Alive, where we would do poetry in the schools and had to had to partner with people and drive around in cars across the country so uh we definitely saw it in you know in the south um but we also saw it in chicago places like chicago i've seen it in california i've seen it i've i've, I've had a, a a hotel manager that wouldn't let me in my room in oregon it happens all over the country you know um i've in, in chicago uh, no in boston i got stopped one time by 20 police officers you know there were two per car 10 cars uh you know, uh, a few were plain clothes cars and a few were, you know, the cars that you see with the lights on them. They thought that uh, the guy who I was riding with, a fellow actor of mine, castmate of mine, that we were, you know, and we were coming out of a certain neighborhood. They thought that we were, you know, dealer, a big time dealer or something because we had boxes in the back seat that were the programs for our shows. But they didn't know we were in the boxes and they stopped us in searches and they had guns drawn. You know, I was like, wow, does it really take all of that? Um, but we were very fortunate that we weren't shot on the spot, that they didn't decide to look in the boxes after they, you know, they uh, committed uh, force, uh, 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 you know, unnecessary and undue force uh, upon us to get out of the car. Um, fortunately, um, you know, that we, you know, we had a witness both, you know, if it just been me in the car, I, I shudder to think what, what could have happened. But because there were two of us, at least there, you know, there were witnesses, we were witness, witnesses for each other. But sometimes that's not even enough because, you know, they have, they have done away with two people and done away with one person while the other person was watching. That has happened. Um, when, you know, when I was, you know, directing out of Florida, uh, I was, you know, coming back to North Carolina and driving. I like to drive at night to avoid the heat while you're driving. Cause I, at the time I didn't have a car that, that I thought should have been in that heat, you know, with, you know, overheating was a re was real for the, for that car. So I was driving at night to keep my car cool, engine cool. And, um, once we passed the Florida Georgia line, we get stopped 
and trying to figure out why he stopped us. And it couldn't be for speed because there was a group of white college students. I, you know, I, I surmise um, they could have been a family, but you know, everybody in, in the um, in the car when they zoomed past us seemed to be about the same age. And then they stopped me, and they stopped another brother down the street to see if uh, down the highway, thinking that uh, we were just following each other because. We, you know, we had, we were going, we, we had our good little groove going and, um, we were, and we were following two other cars. They stopped us. They stopped me at one point, stopped him down the, about a mile up the road because they radioed to each other to, to make sure that we didn't know each other, you know, that we weren't running drugs out of Florida or something because they searched the car. So, you know, that's happened in Pennsylvania when I was riding with a white uh, actor. And and it, the funny thing is the white actors that I've traveled with when this has happened really learned something then. Because I've been trying to tell them we can't just stop anywhere. They didn't understand that we couldn't stop at every gas station that they wanted to stop at. We couldn't, you know, every town wasn't a town for us to 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 stop and tra-la-la in, you know, at night. And they didn't get it until... They watched how we were, you know, how we were being treated, being stopped for no reason. And then they're even questioned like, you know, like they've never been questioned before, you know. So. So, yeah. So those things have been happening for years. I was on the road for 12 years and we had those those instances, you know, we've also had some great experiences, you know, where, you know, where we were in you know, all white towns and performed and got great responses. Um, but of course. We were traveling through. We didn't have to live there. We didn't know how, you know, we didn't have dialogue about how they treat, um, you know, their, their, their non-white citizens in those towns. We just, you know, we just passed through. So, um, so the, all those experiences, you know, are great, uh, but they all have their stories. Uh, I know one time in Chicago, because we were doing a multicultural show, you know, we, there were some white females in the show and I just happened to be sitting across from one of the white females. It was very, you know, attractive. Uh, but we were all in that group, you know, and this guy couldn't stand it in this restaurant we were sitting in. And he had the nerve to come up to us and ask us who we were because he has that kind of privilege, right? To ask us who we were and why, you know, we were together. After you asked that question, one of the one of the African-American males in this group went to the bathroom and this guy accosted him and asked him, why are you guys, you know, you know, uh, it, together like this? Are you you know, are you guys messing with these white women? I mean, this was you know, this was something that happened in Chicago and he came back to the table furious. And we tried, you know, and we had to get him out of there because. You know, and we had first we tried to get the management to say this guy is disturbing our table and he is saying some awful things. And, um, you know, he and on his way out, he made this awful joke. He was like, why are, are people afraid, white people afraid to let uh, uh, black people besides Tiger Woods? You know, uh, this is when Tiger was popular. Um and, and moving up the you know in the ranks and whatnot, and it was like besides having Tiger Woods, why they're afraid to let other blacks up and too many blacks on the on the, um in the golf courses uh, at one time, and then he hadn't had the nerve to say because they'd afraid that we'd eat the greens. And I was like, what? Did he actually say that to our faces? And this is this is in a city that's supposed to be you know progressive that we that we hope that. You know, we could go to because we feel like we're accepted and, and, and racial tensions are 
you know, sentiments aren't what they are in the South. But this is this is uh, Chicago. So so we've had, you know, these kind of experiences and that the poor white actors in that troupe uh, were really saddened by that and because they had never witnessed it before. So that's so I do understand why some might be a little leery and weary after we, you know, in this 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 period where we are, you know, protesting in the streets and, you know, everybody's gone back to their homes and, and life gets back to this quasi normalcy that uh, that those of us who continue to bring it up, I can see why they can get weary because some of them have never witnessed what we're talking about. Well, I had learned the hard way that racism is not a thing of the past. It is very much, it is very much present. It is just as present as anything. And I'm sorry you had to deal with, I'm sorry you had to go through all that. See me, see me, I once had, I was having, I was having a talk with my mom um, a few weeks ago and she said that the black agenda should be getting Donald Trump out of office and without going too far into politics but I said no the black agenda is not getting Donald Trump out of office what what black what, what we need to realize and I hope we're realizing this is no. Trump ain't the problem he's part of a much <laughs> yeah. bigger problem yeah he's a problem but he's right. not the problem the problem is the fact that we are not organized, that we are disconnected among each other. I have been saying, I've been saying, I don't know if you will agree with me on one of these, but I've been saying, hold your dollar, hold your vote. When we do, when we do one or both of those, then we may be able to make some change. Hold your dollar because these CEOs, major corporations are tied into political figures. And they are part of that one, and they are part of that one percent that received that huge tax tax cut um, for a reason. So you hold your dollar, you don't pay them or anything. They are going to have to start paying attention. I say hold your vote because until a politician, until a politician locally, right, right now I'm looking locally, nationally great will be great. Yeah, but right look, now I'm looking. At yeah, we have to look locally. Initially, because those are the people that set policies where you live, you know. Um, so a lot of times we don't look at what's happening locally. We don't we don't turn on to uh, the 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 caption whatever television channel that is used to be PBS or the or the government channel. And and if you can't make it to the city council every time, at least check in once a year and look at you know look and see what's happening should be more than once a year but you should at least have have gone on the c-span to look at what's happening in your city council because it affects your life right here at home uh and then you look towards the state races because it it affects how your state governs uh the citizens of your state and how what you're able to do or not do and then yes the federal the federal elections, the national elections. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, and uh, and my and my vote and my thought is hold your vote because we are the ones who put we're the ones who put them in power. But they don't. But 
uh, Marcus Deion Smith was still hogtied two years ago. So apparently they do not deserve the power that we give them. So we're not going to allow you to attain power on our tax, off our taxes, off our vote until you put together, until you put forth a platform that not only benefits working class people and uh, working class, working class and middle class people, but also, also you need to defund, maybe defund, but I will say deregulate, reform the local police department because. What? Why in the world is a man being hauled? You know, uh, it's going to take a multifaceted approach, um, and just like there are many facets of any military um, presence um, or organization, or or even other organizations, you know, educational organizations. There are people who do things in administration. There are people who are on grounds. There are people who are who are in the classrooms. There are people who are uh, traveling and advocating for the university uh, through admissions. I mean, so I, I really believe it's going to take a multi-pronged uh, approach, multifaceted approach. So uh, there are, you know, there are many ways that this change has to be sustained, or uh, many ways to make sure that this this change is 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 fully realized. Um, so you know so i know the debate is going to continue as to what that should be um but you know that that is still uh something that we we definitely are going to have to continue to dialogue about and they you know we'll definitely hear a lot about it in, in the near future um you know and there should be different branches of what you're talking about and other things that people are talking about but you know tonight there's a, there's a conversation where people on are, are um are you know having that kind of dialogue and, and i think many nights to come nationally on television they're you know they're about to have these these dialogue sessions and i hope they bring in regular people and not just the famous people and not just the people who've already made it are already rich uh but they will talk talk to the people they'll bring some people out of you know you know out of the hood to have these conversations with the same people you know we talk to people that are still you know they're still in the predicaments that that a lot of these racist policies have have created um and from all walks of life you know we we can't have you know one opinion three opinions we need to have a multi-faceted group of people uh because we're so diverse even among our, our our own people you know there should be black people from different cultures who are okay with being black you know um and don't shy away from it um you know, so that we can we can bust up this division that they've created to make sure that we don't that we aren't on the same page that we can't affect real change um, from different walks of life, different professions. You know, we should all be heard, seen. Um, you know, all of our thoughts should be considered. So, uh, so I really appreciate being here on here with you, man. Is there anything else that? Um, that you have questions about because uh, you know like I said over a long career um, in education in performance as a writer director actor singer producer all of those things uh, having my own theater company um, being a because I didn't do Broadway because I wanted to do shows where 
the show had a political voice, had a social uh, responsibility voice. Um, so yes, uh, I, I did a show once where um, in Oklahoma where this guy came up crying and said, a white uh, audience member said, I know nothing. I don't have any. I'm crying because this is a wonderful production. I don't have any black people in my life that I deal with socially. And he says, and after this show, I'm going to change that. And he gave us a gift. He gave us um, a, a picture or something, a framed. It was like a really nice gift that he gave us and, uh, and expressed how he um, apologizes for the fact that he hadn't done more to include black people into his life. And he would, he said he was going to from now on because black history was American history. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I was, I was left speechless because, um, and, and about to break down a cry, I gave him a hug and thanked him for that. I don't know how, you know, I didn't get his name. I don't know how much he is still doing, uh, for the community. Cause like I said, you know, a lot of the history of my touring and being out on the road, uh, having during the time where I can't just you know punch somebody's name in my phone to keep up to keep up with them or or get their Facebook account so that you know they, or their or their Instagram so that I can keep up with what they're doing. But now we have so many tools at, at our disposal that we can dialogue with each other, uh, continue to do this multifaceted approach uh, with keeping each other's voices in mind and and, and posts in mind. So, you know, um, and, and making sure that we hold everybody well, accountable. Well, um, first of all, first of all, um, 16 minutes, minutes are going to go by and then uh, this segment will go and then this segment will go, will go all, will click because we would have hit the uh, two hour, the, the two hour mark. But while we Wow, two hours really? Yeah. Wow, uh, I'm, I'm I'm sorry, patrons. You you had to suffer two hours, but but no, I, I, I'm I'm joking. I, I hope that you know whatever we said in these two well, hours. Actually, I would like know, for it to be somebody. some be two hours and some change because I would like to get some tech, uh, kind of like a technique field tutorial for you, but before uh, from you, but before you give that, okay. Um, now. I mentioned I mentioned us coming together, us unifying as one, right? But yes. But I look at I look at people like you, people like uh, Miss Mabel Robinson, who I once interned for, uh, Mister Hamlin. You know, people yes. uh, basically black rep as a whole, right? And I'm like, that's black theater. Yes. You know what I'm saying? Uh, the Negro Humble Company. Mm-hmm. That's black theater. However, I look at, I look at, I look at church plays. You know, I've done church plays, right? A lot of us, we, a lot of us, we start in uh-huh. church plays or we do church plays forever and ever and think, yo, I am an actor because I've done church plays. No, you're not. And then <laughs> you got, yeah. And then you got, I don't want to call Tyler Perry the Chitler circuit, but it kind, but his content, but uh, but the actual content kind of mirrors the Chitler circuit. You know what I mean? Well, the fact that he had to self-produce and uh, was not plugged into 
the uh, whole Broadway or regional theater construct. Um, so I get what you're saying. So yes. My question is, how does a black act? How does a black actor? Um, because the 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 church play and the ty- the many Tyler Perry wannabes that are out there. Those are groups that are so easy yeah. to get plugged into. The the you, you, yeah. Hamlin, Miss Robinson, that that's more of a group that it takes some skill to get into. What would you say to an actor trying to decide between all three worlds? Well, I would say that all three worlds are legitimate, just like, you know most of your Motown stars like Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations, you know, they sang in church. You know, a lot of people, even now, you know, sang in church first. Um, But career-wise, they had to go the route uh, that uh, was dictated by the record companies. And even some of the, even I was looking at a documentary on on Sam Cooke. Uh, That documentary is so powerful. If you, I mean, it's on YouTube, so, you know, if you want to look it up, but it talks, it shows how, you know, yeah, while they were in the church world, they were popular, they made money, they were on tour. But in order to have a career, they had to cross over into the the avenues that would allow that to happen. So, um, so I would say to, you know, to a young black actor who wants to get involved and wants to be a quote professional actor, that the all these all of these avenues are available to you and should, should still be available to you. you, you I mean, we should all give back because it's not like Donna Ross wouldn't go home to her church if she were asked and not sing. Or, you know, Aretha Franklin was famous for going, you know, to churches and singing even after she had crossed over. Uh, so, uh, so I would say, you know, you weren't going, you know, you weren't going to get paid. Your house note wasn't going to get paid because you sang at church that day. I'm sure they can give you a love offering. But it's not the same as having a career in it. So I would say that, <clears throat> excuse me, that just like that, um, as an actor, you know, take advantage of, of wherever you find yourself, you know, and be the best at it. Try to be the best at it. You know, you know, don't be a problem for the for the production company or the director uh, or the producer of this of this um, uh, of whatever it is that you're involved in at church. You know, come to rehearsals. You know, learn, you know, you know, understand you don't know everything. Understand that that there are people that, that can help you get through, even if they aren't as trained as you think they, as well trained as you think they should be. You know, be good, be kind and participate in those things. Don't burn your bridge or laugh or or discount the fact that you're doing theater at church. Take be there. You're, you're in that you're in that position. So be fully there, be fully there and cooperative and and learn something from it don't burn a bridge you know you know build while you're there and then when you move up to you know to the more community-based shows or the shows that are are not plugged into the broadway um a circuit or the or the regional theater circuit um then you know you apply yourself in that space uh knowing that uh that there is a system that takes money and resources from people who who have pulled out and decided they're going to do their own thing so that there are shortcomings 
you know, you, you don't walk up to a producer or director and say, oh, this this not professional. What do you know about professional? You haven't been to the professional level yet. You're here working with somebody who's trying to get you there, but you've decided that you know what professional is. So you're going to come in and disrupt their thing. No, cooperate. Be be kind uh, and help as that person is growing in, in, in whatever uh, level that they're in, whether they're new production company, an older produ- production company, production company that, that's touring and making money. Um, where do you, you know, find out where you fit, find out how you can get better and how you can help that company. Because um, there are a lot of things with how this country has grown up that makes us, you know, turn against each other so quickly. You know, it's nothing worse than walking to a store and you see uh, a sister or brother working in a store and, you know, they just smile and grin and give the white customers all their energy and treatment. And then when you get up to the counter, it's just a, hey, mm, you know, that kind of treatment. We're trained to do that to each other. We don't even know that we're trained to do that. And the fact that experiences with the most common people that you know creates, you know, recordings in your brain where that black male becomes your uncle that you don't like that black female becomes your grandmother who who didn't take care of you properly so you're going to take that out on on your daddy wasn't there so you're going to take that out on 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 other brothers so so that's that's natural that's human but we need to fight against that we need to fight against the fact that if we are involved in a church production a local production uh a up-and-coming producer who's touring the country that if we're nice to each other, if if we continue to help, then then we'll you know we'll all make it. Um, and then when you get to the you know when you you know you, you do what you need to do to get to the Broadway stuff, you know, uh, uh, shows to the off Broadway shows to the regional theaters to the touring companies, you know, don't forget where you came from, and don't forget to reach back and um, and help you know make sure that the resources are there. These HBCUs are graduating actors and, and and directors every year but they don't get their shot the way that some of these young white actors and directors come right out of come out of right out of grad school and start working for cbs or start working for a company and not have you know or a regional company where they can be artistic directors and stage managers and all this kind of stuff when we have to struggle and all of a sudden we don't exist well we can't find any i've had a direct white director tell me i can't i can't find any black could you help me find some what are you talking about you can't find you can't call you know um um, Alabama State and, and ask who's graduating in theater. You can't call A&T and find out who's graduating in theater. You know, so so there's a whole lot that can that goes on. And I know I've gone off the rails on your original question, but I just because it's so complicated, it grows and morphs into that. So we have to, we, you know, we, we're getting enough. Those of us who produce, we're getting enough from the top to have people coming up you know, from, you know, from where they're coming up from to get into this business to, to also treat us and mistreat our companies and our intentions. You know, and of course, there are those, you know, there are those, you know, producers and directors who have that old school style and, you know, and they get mad before they before they compliment what you have done good. Um, and this generation doesn't take kindly to that. Um, we have to start beginning to change our tactics and, and how we train and uh, and how we want to position ourselves to help people who are passing through. <clears throat> Excuse me. So I don't know. 
how close do we get to answering that question? And by the way, I think I think Tyler Perry is a genius, um, but he is handicapped by this system that puts us all in bad in a bad position. And um, and I would love to you know say to him at some point in time, you know, from the bottom of my, of, of my heart, I apologize for any quote or unquote legitimate theater person that has said that you know has hurt your feelings or hurt your or caused you to to you know to crawl away you know to, to go away from black theater and say i'm just going to do this by myself um i think this is a time that we can all forgive each other and all heal and all say let's work together let's make this happen let's not judge each other based on where we are but understand that training makes us all better um some of the processes that have been put in place at these white theater companies, you know, they work, they do work, um, you know, um, but how we work them, why we work them, um, who we choose to work them with has been the issue. So, um, so I would, you know, I would, I would love the dialogue and we, and for all of the, the theater, you know, um, uh, giants to come together, you know, um, in a, platform where we can really discuss with everybody you know no big eyes and little U's, and say okay you know uh how can we get along to make this work how can how, how can uh we be a, a a strong force and a base that demands that we are treated properly that we get the money that these arts councils are giving out that we get the federal dollars in the grants where's you know the uh the federal theater project that jump-started a lot of black organizations in the 30s can we get some of that you know uh you know kind of of money so that we can jump-start these black theater companies again so that so that you know everybody who is producing independently that that you know and how do we decide who qualifies for what you know that's that's what it's going to take it's going to be a challenge you know everybody somebody who started a theater company yesterday doesn't qualify for the same money that started the theater company 10 20 years ago right um but under what circumstances do we do we determine that um you know and um and these theater techniques like i said they're all out there for us to interpret for ourselves but they they do work if you if you have the training the proper training to work them and i'm not saying everybody has to be trained at a college or a university i'm just saying that that every profession has some kind of apprenticeship kind of method and way of doing things so that you can't just you know so that you don't get out there and just stump stub your toe and make all kinds of wrong you know um moves that affect your life um, as you're out here just starting to make your thing happen. Well, you know, uh, with Tyler Perry, he and Spike Lee liked each other for a very long time. But um, Tyler Perry named named one of the sound stages at his studio, at his huge studio. Excuse me. Um, he, he named one of the sound stages at his studio after Spike Lee. So, I do believe there's amongst all. Yeah, because because he is, you know, because he does respect. Uh I, I and that respect needs to, you know, needs to go uh so many ways. Um we we can't frown at the fact that um 
that we, you know, that, you know, a Tyler Perry type play is not our cup of tea, but we have to be truthful ab- about, you know, about what it is that disturbs us about it or what we wish we, we could see that's different. Just like, you know, some people don't get down with Broadway shows, uh, but we need to be honest about what we're seeing or not seeing that would help us to, 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 you know, to, to like that or to at least participate or support it. So um, regardless of what our tastes are, we should support it. You know, um, there's enough room out here at, uh, for all of us at the table. Um, and, and that's what I have seen and being a part of, all of these festivals being a part of all these different universities um you know i i choose to be at an hbcu because uh until things get to a point where we want them to be based on what's been happening out here uh with the protests until there's a safer environment and uh emotionally and mentally at the um at the predominantly white institutions okay and you know, and some people can handle it. Um, I was just one who was tired of dealing with it, you know. Um, but there is a way of um, of making sure that we can all come to the table and and try to heal and and try to move forward in a way that's productive. All right. Well, um, right now, like you said, twenty seconds. Twenty seconds. The uh, thing is going to click, and I will dial you back in because I, because I have a couple more questions for you. If you don't mind, sir. Okay. All right, but you got to stay awake now. You can't be falling asleep. Mr. Minkin. Yes. All right. Hello? Yes, sir. Thank you. Thank you. So, um, I hate hearing myself. It's it's crazy. It's crazy. Anyway, so real, so real. For an actor who is a starring gal, what are some techniques that you would recommend for for said actor? Okay, well, I would say if you are in a school and you're being taught acting by someone, uh, they are teaching you based on an approach that they already know. So ask them what approach they're teaching you with or from. And then that way you'll know what you're seeing. So don't you don't clash with what they're doing but you can enhance what they're doing because there are at least 15, 16 or more acting techniques that are out there that allow you to strengthen your acting abilities. Um, you know, when, you know, when somebody says that they, you know, they, they just do the method to me, that's based on the fact that they're not really fully exploring possibilities that may take you uh, longer to learn and understand. Um, you know, anybody can get out there and decide they're going to, you know, they're going to act out from real life, something that they're acting and bring real life into it. Um, that's something that, um, 
course, it does take courage if you're going to, you know, play a person who is homeless and you go out and decide to live homeless for a couple of days or a couple of weeks. That takes kind of does take some kind of courage that, you know, that you don't really have to have if you're training to be an actor. There are so many techniques that will allow you to get into that headspace and into the realness of what needs to be uh, portrayed on the stage or in film or in television without, you know, doing that kind of stuff. But understanding that the method is based on somebody's philosophy, um, you know, Stanislavski, who uh, was the artistic director of the uh, Moscow Arts Theater in the uh, in the 1800s, you know, right at the turn of the century, turn of the century, well, as they say, or the Industrial Revolution uh, part of the uh, part of our history, uh, where the arts were wake, were awakened by the fact that people were waking up and saying, uh, I'm no longer an animal or a machine, uh, that there are machines out there that can bring me out of the fields and to keep me from doing such harsh and hard manual labor uh, that I die uh, young of old age because I'm working that hard and then when we get these machines in here we can travel further we can travel unlike we've done before we can accomplish more and also the acting and the arts decided we're going to take a new approach to presenting uh, and re and representing real life on the stage and wherever, wherever else this is our stories are being told the art is being created about life so um so based on his discoveries in Russia, you know, there were people in, in, in the United States who took his approach and his philosophy and decided upon their approach for teaching this new discovery. Uh, so, you know, so I would I would urge young actors to go on YouTube. You're on the phone all day anyway. Go on YouTube and look up this documentary about the group theater. The group theater. They're the ones who brought Stanislavski's approach into the United States as far as developing and living with each other. They lived with each other in this house in New York, upstate, and developed, you know, um, a community and an ensemble uh, that revered Stanislavski's approach, you know, and they were able out of that group to have four prominent teachers come out of that group and put into motion and send into motion a lot of the stars that your grandparents and parents grew up watching on television and film and, and you and in this generation has even seen some of those people trained by those four people. Uh, those four people being Stella Adler, Uta Hagen, Lee Strausberg, and Sanford Meisner. Um, and then from there, American training branches off into other people who have decided that they are just not going to help you to, to develop mentally as an artist, as an actor, but to be able to use the voice um, and, and develop your voice. There are people who, whose, whose techniques help you to focus on the voice so that you can get at your at your character through voice. There are people who uh, have developed and strengthened 
uh, acting techniques that help you develop your body. You have to use your body. We have to see you uh, unless you're in an animated situation, whereas wherein then the voice is really prominent. And then there, there are times where we need to see your body. We need you to run like the character, jump like the character, walk like the character, um, sit down like the character, not like you. Not in every character. You might want to bring you to characters um, that um, you know that you play every once in a while, but not every film you're in, every play you're in, do you want to be the same person, right? So if you want to develop your physical attributes, and even the people who have developed physical attributes that we that we um, attribute to one or two actors they still learned how to use their body in those ways. So being able to use your body, there are, you know, there are people that, you know, Alexander Technique, there's, there is um, um, Suzuki and, and uh, Laban and other techniques that help you to, to develop your body. So, because um, you don't know if you run funny, if you walk funny until somebody records it and you say, oh, I didn't know I look like that. That's why a lot of people don't like to see themselves in pictures because you look odd. To yourself right so you want to make sure that you're using your body correctly and you want to make sure that you're using your body in a way that as a young person you're not hurting your body as you get older because you know something might stop working after a while because you've been misusing it so learning how to use your body learning how to use your voice learning how to use your mind and and to look at um, at experiences from a different lens than the one you grew up on, accepting different things that weren't a part of your family history or or um, not a part of your what your what you believe in coming from a certain town or a certain city or a certain state or a cer certain country. So developing your mind so is open, developing your your voice so that it's strong and and flexible and 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 can last um, developing your body so that it's strong and flexible and can last uh, and then that last thing that you want to develop is is your ability to interpret the script there are uh, they're encompassed in all of those techniques that you can look up for those other uh, parts of acting they there's usually uh, something within those acting techniques that also help you and cross you know and they do uh, cross-pollinate so that you can develop other areas but their main focus might be that one thing but certainly they help you to to learn how to deal with a script and go you know go deep into a script and understand what the playwright is saying what the screenwriter is saying why did this tv show you know you know come on the air what are we trying to say with these with this work you know any work whether it's funny or sad uh, has a has a message to it, and there's or a reason why it's being done. Even the you know, the seemingly silly stuff ha has a message of some type. So you want to be intellectual enough to understand what it is that's being said, and they're using you to say it. So why wouldn't you investigate? You know uh, why they're saying what they're saying because they're using you to do it. Um, so I would say that if you don't get the training formally at a college or university, there's enough resources out there on YouTube. There's enough books out there that you can read, but, but do something, you know, and, and then allow yourself to be mentored by somebody because acting is, you know, acting in the sense where this is a daily job, 
you know, all of us can can, you know, become somebody if if we need to, because, you know, we're living on the streets or or we're in a dangerous situation where or, or we're trying to be funny around our friends. Yeah, we can imitate our friends. We can do all kinds of things, but that doesn't mean uh, that you can sustain it doing eight shows a week on Broadway or touring to multiple cities um, uh, on a circuit or or you know filming trying to be consistently that same character filming you know over a week's time or three months time and you're in different scenes um filming that you might be filming the ending first so you need a technique to get you in and out of of the the the, the sadness or the or the hilariousness of of your of your scene and then you might have to do it all over again um, and be consistent when you do it in another take or another day. So, uh, so acting is not just getting up there saying words, you know, you know, it's, it's about, you know, helping to tell a story that's being told and there are better ways of doing it than some people do. I will say that um, because there's stuff on television. That's, you know, that's not that good um, when it comes to artistic merit uh, there's stuff on stages that aren't that good. Um, but I still applaud their efforts as long as they're as long as they're being inclusive and saying, well, anybody can have this opportunity. You just have to apply for it. Or if the criteria for getting into that film or that theater company is one thing, it should be for everybody to accomplish that criteria before they're allowed, you know, in. But the problem is it's so inconsistent. They tell us that we have to be trained. And then they go out on the street and, and and get a you know a young you know blonde person and then they're a star next week. Um, they tell us that you know that we need to wait our turn and you know and then you know get that degree that you want to get and then you know we can let you direct or have a theater company. But then you know we're scrounging you know trying to you know trying to hustle and live paycheck to paycheck to get that first TV show to get that to direct that first film. And you have somebody, I actually heard the other day that somebody say, well, you know, you know, my, myself and my friends, um, we, we understand that we're probably going to have about 12 misses before we get a film right. Well, really? You know, who get, does African-American directors don't get 12 misses before they get, before they have the opportunity. And this was just last week I heard this and I was like, wow, I should have recorded it because I don't know if I even know who the person was or if I can, you know, find it somewhere. But that's the kind of mentality. Get your training. Don't listen to anybody who tells you you don't need to be trained to be an actor because that is their experience their recording that is not the average recording the way the average recording should go i should say there should be training it's harder than you than you think it is um and memorization young people i i i i will be the first to admit that that memorization um is something that you haven't had to grow up with uh the way we had to grow up with it you you had to if you got a girl's telephone number you have to you have to memorize that thing or make sure that you on that piece of paper that you've written the right number down or you'll never see that person again um but now your memories are being used in different ways and so you don't have to memorize your your address you know you don't have to memorize your telephone number you don't have to memorize your email address 
Um, of course, we, we oftentimes do, but I know people whose memories are and they're young, not very good. Uh, so you have to practice being able being able to memorize things, um, and memorization doesn't just just happen. You know, it's something that you have to train your mind to do. Um, so um, if you look at your favorite actors or a favorite TV show or favorite film, you will see that a lot of them either got formal training, have a, you know, I don't know if they finished their training and have a degree in it, but you will see that they had training either formally or they had training by being child actors in a community theater or university theater setting or, or, or some professional theater. Um, so that to me also is training because if you've trained as a child to do something, you know, if you made pancakes when you were eight as a, as an adult, your pancakes are, are, are slamming now as an adult because you did it early on and learned how to do it. So, um, and you trained yourself. So, um, self-training is not always, um, you know, conducive to being everybody's cup of tea, but train some kind of way you know and the resources are out there at your fingertips without having to pay a lot of money for it but if you do want to invest in yourself and pay money there's nothing wrong with that just don't pay money to agencies agencies that say they can they can make you a star that's not true you shouldn't pay to get an agent um and they know that you don't know that you shouldn't do it and so you know they're making all kinds of money from people who want to be in the business so badly that they will they will pay five, six hundred dollars, a thousand dollars to have their child be in these glorified beauty contests. Um, if you want to spend money, spend money, find a, a, a college professor who's willing to, you know, to be paid extra money to train your child on a weekly basis or a monthly basis. Find an acting school in town that's teaching, you know, acting. Um, you do have to be careful about who's teaching you, who's teaching these things, because they you, you want to be informed as to what their to what their approach is, and and um, and understand how long to be you know to be a part of this training process before you pull out and you know and, and attempt to make some of that money back by being in something that you can be paid for, but don't be afraid or dismayed when you have to do a lot of free things. It's okay when you're when you're learning. You know, to be in a play that nobody's going to pay you, you you really should be paying them for the training experience sometimes. Um, so, um, so training, yes, pay for training, but don't pay because you think they're going to get you into the business. And quiet as it's kept, film and television is much harder in some regards uh, to get started in than theater. Theater, you can you know you can sign up to be in a play, you know wherever they whenever we open up to do uh live plays again and and learn that theater is more about the actor than it is than film and television because you get a chance to grow in a process so even if you weren't ready to act when you first auditioned you'll be ready by the time uh it's time for the play to go up even if it's even if it's not as good as other people think it should be you're you're better than you were when you first got there. Film and television, they'll throw you in there sometimes and use you for your look. And then the next thing you know, yeah, you may have a TV show for a few years, but once that TV show is over, you can't you can't just go and get another gig. Now, 
I even though there'll be there might be a lot of your friend your favorite people who are comedians or 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 former athletes or or people who are MCs on a on a show but that's not acting sometimes that's that's not a sustainable model for being the artist that wants to help tell people stories it's good that they are around and that they're a face and a beacon and have enough money to to be effective in in you know in different communities because they donate you know and are valuable to our community but that's not that's not the picture that in these new under these new conditions that we should settle for um and those aren't the people that we shouldn't that we you know we should just stop and say oh we've made it no we haven't made it if if we have until we have people from all walks of life uh in larger numbers you know performing and being becoming icons for us there should be trained actors you know that's why i was glad with Pan- black panther they used uh the brother who you know bozeman who, who came out of howard university theater program taraji henson came out of howard university's program um so there's training in their background, which is why they can be very, you know, so versatile. And even when they, you know, when their projects are over, they have more projects to go to. Um, it's not always the case uh, for people who just, you know, just jump into the business without a lot of that kind of pedigree. All right. So uh, two quick questions. Two quick questions because my phone's starting to overheat. I'm getting, I'm getting messages. Okay. So, two quick questions before we bring this to a close. First of all, um, first question: What's your favorite role, and how did you uh, approach it? And second question: What does the future hold for you? I will say that I finally, and for those who are just tuning in or whatever, um, I have been in a raising the sun three times. The first time was in high school and I had to play George because they said I wasn't big enough, wasn't tall enough. Um, uh, I played, um, I played Asagai in the, in my college production of Raising the Sun. Um, because again, I wasn't tall enough. But, uh, when I had my own production company, I did a Raising in the Sun and I actually got a chance to play Walter Lee because I cast myself. <laughs> and, found out I was big enough you know my heart was big enough my character developed the developed character was big enough and I think playing Walter Lee was was one of you know one of my you know and and my journey with this play I think was my my best story because the first play got me uh street cred if you would in high school for being an actor uh the second time around in, in, in college got me uh, university cred so that I could go to grad school. And this third time was for me. It got it, it, it for me validated who I was and that I was big enough to play this part. Um, and um, and it was, you know, it was very well received. Um, I was also very fortunate to have won uh, an image award. Uh, with the cast of Camp Logan, which is a play about the Buffalo Soldiers. We toured the country and um, we got a chance to do shows in front of, you know, celebrities in, in, in L.A. and um, Paramount even considered making a film out of it. Uh, so, you know, so I was very fortunate touring those 12 years with that show 
And it kept me in the prime of my acting career when people are going to Broadway in their 20s and early 30s. It kept me from going to Broadway then um, because I believed in this project so much that I gave up teaching full time to tour 12 years with this show. And uh, again, it didn't pay as it didn't. I didn't have the, the benefits of, of teaching full time and then didn't pay as much. But because it was an independent project, um, I I would say that that was one of the greatest experiences as well. We, we actually got a chance to do uh, New York on a six I think it was a six week run in New York and got great reviews before we had to close down for lack of, of, of financing. It wasn't because we, we really could have stayed open had we had the financing, you know, for years. Um, but uh, I thoroughly enjoyed being, enjoyed being a part of that process. Um, you actually get a chance to grow grow up with your cast members, uh, and I and I know people who have had TV shows where that happens. You know, you're on a TV show for five years, and we all have watched people grow up and become adults. You know, acting in TV shows and whatnot. So I wish I'd had that experience being in a television show for uh, for a number of years. Uh, I, I, I've been in a in a few films with. You know, with people that uh, I look up to, that those have been really good experiences. Uh, none more, none more rewarding than having been in a film that one of my former students actually um, uh, produced, and um, and that was great. That was exhilarating. Uh, you know, Alvin Moore Jr. had a film uh, about uh, called The Perfect Gift that plays on BET. You know, had played on BET on, during Christmas time a lot, and um, I I got a chance to be in that in that film, even though there were more lines um, scheduled, but we ran out of time and ended up with one set of lines for me, but enough for me to uh, to get credit for for doing that film. So that was that was awesome. So um, and what's what's ahead? I'm hoping what what's ahead for me. Um, oh, and I can say, you know, playing Mandela at the Atlanta Black Theater Festival last fall, which, which got me Best Actor of the of the Festival Award in 2019. So that was exhilarating and rewarding, uh, getting a chance to play Nelson Mandela. But uh, what's uh, moving forward, uh, I plan on um, recreating the role of Nelson Mandela um, someplace. Um, and... Um, I love the play The Meeting when I was young, younger. Uh, I played Malcolm X um, in several productions. I was Larry Hamlin's understudy for Malcolm X when he did it at the uh, Black Rep um, all those years ago um, and really got, you know, got, got bitten by the idea of playing Malcolm X um, in that piece called The Meeting. And uh, Playing that part on, on occasions, um, so many occasions, has been exhilarating. Um, that's been a, a favorite ca um, um, character of mine. So I, I hope moving forward that I can still do um, Malcolm at some point in time. I can I can play Mandela uh, another uh, at another point in time, and I would like to be able to uh, to produce new works uh, I have friends that are playwrights that I've met through all of these festivals um, I'd like to be able to to do some of their shows uh, as a director 
uh, producer and as an actor, maybe not all in the same project, but, you know, maybe separately uh, or a combination of that. Uh, I would like to, uh, especially in these times where we're all feeling something about what's happening, uh, I'd like to be able to write something that can go out um, and be, you know, produced and performed about those experiences on the road um, and even um, adding to the arsenal even more uh, characters who have been um, historically significant in the black community, um, even writing something about these times that we're living in now. Okay. Those those definitely like um great future goals. They kind of are what they kind of they kind of like sound like what I'm doing. I'm doing a lot of writing these days. Yeah. So, Mr. Yeah. people who want to contact you for consulting, coaching, um, directing, um, advice or anything like that, how can they how can they contact you? Um, you can email me at aaminkins at gmail.com aaminkins at gmail.com and minkins is m-i-n-k-i-n-s so uh, aaminkins at gmail.com um, as, as you know Adrian I do uh, if people want to learn a monologue and get better in understanding uh, all the things that I just talked about because I am versed in, in multiple uh, acting training techniques uh, may not have the certificate in all the techniques, but I know enough about them and been teaching them uh, for enough years that I, you know, that I can help just kind of, you know, direct uh, a young person's efforts towards uh, learning what parts of these techniques are best for them and, and what they understand um, so they can be stronger. So I, you know, I'm doing weekly bi-weekly, monthly um, sessions with people. Um, and I used to do sessions in person. Um, you know, families would, would pay me monthly to um, to train their, their child. Um, or there might be a young person that I used to teach who thought they were going to go out into the world and just you know, make a splash and get into a film or a tele or a, or a television show without the training, and have called me once they graduated from college and said, "Mr. Jenkins, would you, you know, or emailed me and say, would you help me to get into grad school or help me to uh, to be able to be to be stronger when I go in and audition?" And I and I certainly and I help. Um, so I've been employed by by people to do that for them, and. Um, and I have seen great growth and um, I've seen people um, really challenge themselves because, you know, I'm going to be challenging. I was I was mentored by somebody who was a challenger. So I'm going to challenge you um, to um, to get better. And I'm going to be honest, but I'm also going to be um, I'm going to be compassionate and empathetic, knowing where you're coming from now and where I was Um to try to get you to where you want, where you say you want to be. Well, yes, I do. Yes, I do know that for sure. And I can tell you, I can definitely tell you that I greatly look forward to all the instruction that I have come from you waiting for me. And yes. I will say that uh, for all you do, for our people, for 
for all people, period. But especially what you do for us, because here in Greensboro, here in Greensboro and Winston-Salem, you know, you like keeping the Marv-tastic tradition going. Yes, yes. Uh, yeah, that Marv-tastic spirit uh, has been so, you know, phenomenally effective for all of us, you know, from the, from the people who you know that have names on television and television and film from the people who do Broadway to the people who are work, you know, who work in our communities here. Um, being able to have that reunion of spirit every two years really helps us to, you know, to laugh together, to cry together, to, to realize that we're not alone in this fight to be seen, to be heard, to be respected as theater artists, as film artists, as television artists, as artists, period, that can live up to, even on the technical side, that can live up to anybody in this country, in this world. So, um, cause you know, cause we have those experiences where people look down on us because we're African American, uh, and thinking that we can't do all the things that they can do or shouldn't even have the opportunity to. So, um, so yes, um, I look forward to continuing to spread that Marvtastic spirit and also the, the, the love and, and, and care, uh, and work that, you know, Dr. Betty Jean Jones showed to me and to, uh, others of us who are from this Greensboro, um, acting, uh, consortium, uh, also, uh, shout out to my high school, um, mentor or at least the person who got me started dr du- i mean i don't know if he was a doctor but dwight pierce mr pierce um so um he saw something in me and and challenged himself to you know to challenge me but also challenge himself to uh, to help an african-american actor um since he wasn't um to to at least get jump started so i was so I must say, because of all of that, and because of all that you help us with, I must say you, sir, are a needed, necessary, and more fantastic part of the Renaissance. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you so much. Um, it just reminds me how proud Larry was of, of the fact that he had created a word that is that is used. You know, it's like, it was like, okay, you know, you, you, you might you not agree with my tactics, but look at look at what just happened. You know, I created a word and I really, you know, appreciate everything that he did for our community as well and for people around the world. Uh, I was just glad to have been um in you know, in his in his presence. Well the way I look at well the way I look at that is he taught you, you're teaching me. And I'm and I'm already finding myself, you know, uh, teaching teaching uh, teaching young brothers and sisters and helping them get into uh, get into get get into doors. Yes. Like with my with my reading that I got going up, Battle of the Books. I got two brand new actors. One of them is my cousin, but mm-hmm. it's still two brand new actors. Yeah. Battle of the Books, by the way, which is going up uh, June nineteenth. Uh, at 8 p.m. Uh, Facebook Live, and I'm and I'm proud of you, brother, for all that you're doing. Uh, this podcast is uh, a fantastic uh, uh, part of your journey, and uh, 
you know, and with the loss of, you know, so many of our radio stations and ways of communicating that, um, that really inform people and keep people in the loop in the community and across the world. I, I really commend you for doing this. And I can say that I've also seen you grow as an actor and I'm looking forward to being a part of that continued growth. Thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate that. Um, I really do. I, I appreciate how you're going to help me grow. I'm not going to say completely ditching community theater cause there's a part of me that's always going to love and appreciate that's right. community, but that's right. in a different direction. Yeah, yeah, and and you can always reach back and give back. Exactly, and also with that being said, uh, anyone who want to contact me, my email is adq 4 christ apple dog queen number four christ as in Jesus Christ at gmail.com. Uh, my Instagram is Dion Chocolate Guy eighty five. Um, let's see. My Twitter handle is Avenue ADQ underscore eighty five, and uh, if you want to hit me up on Facebook, my name is Adrian Dion Quarles, A D R I A N D I O N Q U A R L E S. Please do not call the. Please do not call CIA on me. <laughs> um. So, so, Mr. Minkins, thank you again for your time. Yes, we didn't of none of the musicals we did you did we're going to have to talk about those <laughs> okay all right and and um and and for lack of understanding generally generationally how to uh shout out all of my twitter and, and instagram and facebook pages this you know if you know my name you can find me uh email is is is, is my pace right now for the initial contact if you uh, but if you if you wish to contact me via those other ways, then uh, it's possible. <laughs> uh, uh, and I say to my listeners, contact this man. You can ask two of my guests, two of my guests, Tamika Allen, two uh, two past guests, Tamika Allen, um, Teresa Teresa Howell, I think. Yes. Is that mm-hmm. name Teresa. Mm-hmm. Yes, Teresa Howell. I'm sorry. Blame my 34 year old mind, not my heart. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah, Teresa. Yeah, I watched Teresa uh and Tamika grow and I'm glad to be a part of their their, their lives and their artistic journey as well. So even another past guest who was also a great friend, Mike Burke. He wasn't uh he wasn't one of your students, uh-huh. but he said he's had glowing words to say about you you as well. Oh awesome. Thank you. Thank him for me. Thank you so much. So, also, before we go, before we go, I yes. want to point this out. Yes. <clears throat> so, the so the picture of my podcast, you know, where where it says ADQ's Renaissance, I'm reading, and there's kids looking at me, right? Yes. I just want to point out this um, little tidbit of information. That picture was taken, actually, at... Calvary Kids. Oh, at the that was where I used to work at. Okay, yes, yes, yes. That was, one day, that was one day when I was reading to the kids, and I had a lady who used to work there take a picture of me reading. Wow! And I thought, That's and I thought awesome. I want, I thought I want ADQ's Renaissance to represent me educating kids in some fashion. So I decided to use that picture, 
animated and there it is wow full circle brother yeah our, all of our journeys are so unique and interesting that that uh there's so many more stories that we can tell on these platforms and in these networks and all you know in amazon and netflix and all over the place so i'm looking forward to all these stories being told so um let's let's get out there and do it man let's do it let's do it let's do it yes all right. Well, thank you again, Mr. Minkins. I look forward to making match with you, sir. All right, brother. Have a good one. Thank you, everybody that's listening. Um, love you much. All right. Thank you, sir. All right. All right.